Business and Buckets fans, we are live, episode 53. I can't believe we're already in the 50s, can't believe all the sports that had happened this past week. We got World Series, we have UFC 267, preview on USC 268, we got NFL, we got college football action, we have the new college football uh, playoff rankings, we have college basketball a week to a week away, and Montana trying to get college game day. So let's first talk fueled supplements. Do you guys have trouble sleeping? Do you wake up groggy, not feeling like you've even rested? Do you toss and turn at night? If so, it's time to get knocked out. It's back. The market's leading advanced sleep and recovery formula knocked out is now in stock with the facelift, two new flavors, and an improved ingredient profile. Experience an unreal night's rest with this all-in-one sleep formula. It has superior recovery, muscle repair, pain relief, and anti-inflammation. It helps you fall asleep faster, sleep deeper, and wake up feeling more refreshed. Regulate depressive and sedative actions critical for relaxation, decreases stress and anxiety, manages cortisol and adrenaline reset, but it also in- increases growth hormone production. Two delicious flavors to suit your taste buds. Watch your sleep improve, your mood improve, your product productivity improve and your life improved with knocked out save some cash when you guys do it by using my promotion code buckets for 15 percent off all products once again promotion code buckets b-u-c-k-e-t-s at checkout when you guys go to fueledsupplements.com now i personally use knocked out i've struggled with tossing and turning at sleep um more of a stomach and side sleeper trying to get myself to become more of a back sleeper Knocked out's been tremendous. It helps me really get into that REM sleep. And I've also improved my quality of sleep with better sheets, better pillows, right? A better bed setup uh, personally for me. And it helps me have the energy, be productive for my job, be productive for my hobbies, get my routine rocking and rolling. And that's huge for me. You know, it's 7.46 p.m. on Tuesday night as I'm recording this. Have to be energetic, have to get up bright and early in the morning for the next day. And knocked out really helps me get there. Well, let's talk some football. We have a lot going on in the football world as we're right about that halfway point. Kind of an odd season. No more eight and eights, no more week 16. We have 17 weeks and we are now entering that second half. The trade deadline had, had expired today and we're entering week nine. Some headlines around the, the league, you know, where the typical NFL trade, trade deadline, there's a lot of potential there. There's a lot of smoke, uh, but not a lot of action that had actually happened, but uh, for the Cardinals, some tough news. J.J. Watt out for the year. And listen to this. This is the Watt kind of, this is what runs through the Watt family. He had a torn rotator cuff, a torn labrum, a torn bicep, and a dislocated shoulder and still played the rest of that game. And who knows how long he had had those some of those injuries lingering throughout the season. And really was a game changer. Him and Chandler Jones on the edge rushing for the Cardinals that had them undefeated until this Thursday when they took their first loss against the Packers, and we'll dive into that later. Mark Ingram rejoining the Saints. He was traded from the Texans back to the Saints. He gets to join Kamar and crew back in New Orleans. He also got a year extension. Uh, Miles Sanders headed to the IR for the Eagles. Tough break for them. Um, They had a, a, a bunch of different backs involved this past week, but he enters the IR. Robert Tanyan tore his ACL in the Thursday night game, so he'll be out for the season. Uh, Henry Ruggs actually, well, before Henry Ruggs, 
The Packers also had released Jalen Smith. The the big-time contract stud linebacker that played for the Cowboys was released there, also released in the Packers. So who knows if he's going to get opportunities outside of practice squads. Tough break for him. Was uber-talented, quick, could do a little bit of everything. So it's kind of a surprise. I'm not sure what what had really happened here that led to the, the drop in performance. Um, Henry Ruggs in a serious car accident this morning was charged with the DUI and also DUI of a death. The car accident today being very serious. Someone had passed away in, in the other car. So not sure what the rest, you know what's going to really come down on him, but I wouldn't expect him to be back on the football field for the Raiders anytime soon. The speedster out of Alabama, a huge over-the-top weapon for the for the Raiders. And right at the trade trade deadline yesterday, not only do the Rams have an amazing defense, but they insert Von Miller into that defensive line. I mean, we're talking Jalen Ramsey. We're talking Donald, Von Miller, um, Leonard Floyd, all within that same defensive line. That's going to be crazy. I feel sorry for the rest of the um, offenses in the league, especially in the NFC West, um, for Jimmy G, Russell Wilson, and crew, because this team is stacked. They're going all in. They only have two picks left in next year's draft because they've done the trades for Matt Stafford, Von Miller. They made big-time moves to trade for Jalen Ramsey. So they are going all in. They better hope they win uh, because their next couple years are really going to be interesting as they're doing an untraditional NFL situation to, to form up their team. Bryce Callahan to the IR for the Broncos. A really good player in the secondary there. That's going to be a tough loss for them. You take two guys out of that defense now. Bryce uh, Callahan and Von Miller will be interesting to see how the Broncos perform. And it doesn't look like they're on a playoff trajectory, but that division isn't quite, I would say, living up to expectations with the Chiefs playing lower level ball. The Raiders kind of surprising people and the Chargers still right there in the middle. Uh, Deshaun Jackson cut from the Rams as well. They had tried to find a trade partner, obviously weren't able to get any takers, so he get, got cut. I'm sure he'll sign somewhere for a contender, another over-the-top option. Daniel Hunter out for the year for the Vikings. Very tough loss for them in that edge rush for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, you know, they're really battling to try to find their way in their footing this season, so very tough loss for them. Melvin Ingram traded to the Chiefs from the Steelers for a six-round pick. This was an off-season acquisition. I thought they snaked to be able to have him in the rotation with Alex Highsmith, TJ Watt. TJ Watt out a few games this year. If someone was hurt, they had a, they could add depth. Um, but supposedly he was unhappy in Pittsburgh, wasn't being a, a major part of the rotation, even though he knew what he was signing up for. So um, as Mike Tomlin says, we'd rather have volunteers and hostages. If you don't want to be here, get him out. That's the Steeler way. I'm not too sure how I feel about adding him to the Chiefs. You know, for the Chiefs, that's a huge win, a defense that needs really anything going for them. The Steelers play the Chiefs later down the road, so as a fan, you know, has me scratching my head a little bit. Um, Green Bay signing Whitney Merciless after being cut from the Texans. Uh, that probably also led to Jalen Smith being off the team. Uh, but the, the true vet, it'll be interesting to see. This will be his first week playing for the Packers. Um, tough, tough loss for a very good Tennessee Titans team. Derek Henry with foot surgery. They had supposedly thought he would be originally out for the year. Now they're saying six to 10 weeks for a big guy like that that runs the ball, lives through his feet. I couldn't imagine being on the shorter end of that spectrum. So maybe at the very end of the season, he has opportunity to come back. But who knows if that's true. 
Uh, they had added Donta Foreman to the practice squad and Adrian Peterson. Uh, AD all day. Peterson back in the NFL. Love to see it. Boomer sooner. Hopefully he could just, you know, have those fresh legs come right back into the league mix. I mean, how old is this man at this point? You know, with him being in and out of the league through his prime, he, he does have less miles on his legs. He's 36 years old. I mean, Frank Gore was putting up pretty good numbers, and he never had any time off. He's 38, so right around 36 years old. So obviously the Titans are, are throwing up a prayer there, uh, but it'll be fun to see AD back in an NFL uniform. Um, and then we'll talk about the Saints-Bucks game which the Saints had really throttled the Bucks last year, and they did this week as well. But Kevin White making a reappearance, a top-level draft pick out of West Virginia. Being a Big 12 fan and Oklahoma fan, I was very familiar with him. Really cool to see that this guy still has an opportunity um, and is still you know, really in the league, so um, can't complain. Now, this week in my picks, I was 9-6. and six, Pretty solid week. I'm 80-44 and 44 on the season. But let's talk what had happened this past week, starting with the Thursday night showdown, the seven or six and one Packers versus the six or seven and oh Cardinals and the Packers. Hey, no Devonte Adams COVID protocol. He was on my fantasy team that broke my heart. No MVS returning from IR. Their top receivers being guys like Randall Cobb and some other rookies that I couldn't even tell you, like act like I know who they are. And they found a way to win. Rodgers looking amazing. After this game, I was thinking to myself, is this some of the best football we've seen Rodgers play? And it's hard to debate that. I think we're giving a little bit more credit to the Cardinals than what they necessarily deserve. Being 7-0, that's great. You know, the Steelers were 11-0 last year. They weren't a true contender. I don't really feel like the Cardinals are either. Now, Kyler Murray's battling an ankle injury. Not too sure the seriousness. He still hasn't been confirmed for playing this week. And it's Tuesday, so it's hard to say, but man, the level of performance that we've seen from Rodgers, the off-balance throws, the, the, the crazy contortion, uh, there was a great internet meme of him getting tackled and his helmet lifted up and the, the chin strap in his face was hilarious, but Rodgers, the discount double check is in full effect. It's hard to count out the Packers when you have that man at quarterback, and it just makes me more interested to see where in the hell is Rodgers going to play next year. Hope, hopefully it's in the black and yellow. Um, so in this game, looking at the box score, I always like to go over the box scores. If you tune in, you're like, why is this guy always going on the fucking box scores? Because that really does tell you a lot about the game. Whether you watch it, you might not realize that some stats are adding up. And then if you don't, you know, I can't watch every single game. I try to pick a few here and there. I'm not a red zone guy. I like watching, obviously, if the Steelers are on, it's only the Steelers. But let's say it's an early slate. The Steelers are on later. I'll pick one or two flip back between commercials. Because you got to be able to see how the, the game's developing, what's happening within the, the game. But stats give you a good storyline and sometimes a little bit different storyline than what you are seeing. Um, stats don't lie. You can't always you know put everything together real time. So Rodgers, again, without his top weapons, his leading receiver in this game was Aaron Jones, who had seven catches for 51 yards in the backfield. He, had, he was 22 at 37, 184 yards and two touchdowns against a very solid Cardinals defense. And on the ground, A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones were getting quite a bit of carries. A.J. Dillon, 16 carries, 78 yards. That's a 4.9 average. Aaron Jones, 15 carries, 59 yards for a touchdown, right under four yards per carry. 
A.J. Dillon definitely picking up some momentum here. For the Cardinals, uh, Kyler Murray, K1, 22 of 33, 274, but two picks on the day. He was also sacked twice. They couldn't get a lot going on the ground. Chase Edmonds had seven carries, a pedestrian 30 yards, and a touchdown. And then James Conner, five carries, 22 yards for a 4.4 average, but got two tutties on the day. He is definitely Mr. End Zone. Uh, you know, he's probably like a top 10 running back in fantasy just, just because of these touchdowns alone. Receiving side of things, Hopkins battling an injury, going into the sideline, coming back, going into the sideline, coming back. Still led the team in receiving. Two catches, 66 yards. He had one 55-yard uh, reception. And then A.J. Green getting in the mix with five catches for 50 yards. A.J. Green still out there doing work. I probably looked at this already. But he at 33 years old, that's pretty impressive. Defensively, uh, the Packers were able to get two sacks. The Cardinals won. Jordan Hicks with 12 tackles and a tackle for loss. Jalen Thompson for the Cardinals with 10 tackles and a pass defended. Um, Henry Black and Rajul Douglas with interceptions for the Pack. Statistically, the Packers 6 of 14 on third down. The Cardinals 4 of 10. Both teams went for it on fourth down a couple times. The Cardinals 2 for 2. The Packers 2 of 4. The Packers out-yarded the Cardinals by one yard. Um, but they won the turnover battle three to zero. I mean, that's really going to be the game changer. And they outpossessed the Cardinals by 15 and the Cardinals were still in the game. So you have to give credit on, a you know, having three turnovers, still being right in the game out possessed like that. It shows the resiliency of this team. They're going to be a tough team to beat. And although, especially with the Von Miller acquisition, I'm a very pro Rams guy. You can't count these guys out, you know, being a, an Oklahoma fan, I, I feel like I'd be rooting for the Cardinals more, but they just don't give me that. I don't watch them like, holy shit, this is a contending complete team. I just feel like there's pieces missing, and um, they keep proving me wrong this year, so we'll see what happens. Heading into Sunday in the morning games, um, the Panthers beating the, the Falcons 19-13. to What a huge win this is for the, Viking, or for the Panthers. To, I keep saying the Vikings. Uh, Panthers and Vikings are on a pretty similar path right now. Um, to get back to 500 at 4-4. Four Sam Darnold did leave the game with a concussion, so he's to be determined for this week. I'm assuming he's going to play. Uh, he was 13 to 24 for 129 yards. That offense, no McCaffrey, still struggling to move the ball. But Chuba Hubbard doing his damnedest. He had 24 carries for 82 yards. Not a great average, but a 3.4 average with a touchdown. And then DJ Moore leading the receiving crew, four catches for 59 yards. For the Falcons, Matty Ice, 20 to 27. 146 yards and a touchdown, but had two picks on the day. He was also sacked three times. The, the running game has been very pedestrian for the Cardinals this year outside of Corderell Patterson, who's a Swiss Army knife. Uh, Mike Davis had nine carries for 44 yards. That is a 4.9 average, better than he's been averaging. And then Corderell Patterson getting nine carries as well for 35 yards. The leading receiver here, Tajay Sharp, five catches for 58 yards. As Calvin Ridley, right before a game, said he was going to step away from football, uh, work on his mental health. Uh, there's no exact time frame when he's going to be back. But you take out Julio, you take out Calvin Ridley, you got Tajay Sharp leading the, the crew. Uh, Kyle Pitts seeing a lot of double teams after the huge, huge week last week. You know, only two catches today, uh, this day for 13 yards. Uh, Chuba Hubbard did lose a, a, a fumble on the game. Defensively for the uh, Panthers, Shaq Thompson, the old Husky everywhere on the field. 
10 tackles, tackle for loss, and a pass defended. Um, Hassan Reddick and Yator Gross-Matos with sacks for the Panthers. Shaq Thompson also getting a pick. And Stefan Gilmore, his first game active for the Panthers, gets a pick on the day as well. Welcome back, Mr. Stefan. For the uh, for the Falcons, Foisade Alukun with 16 tackles and a QB hit. Deion Jones always flying around, 14 tackles on the day. And then uh, statistically for the teams, Panthers 10 of 17 on third down, pretty solid. The Falcons a very pedestrian three of 10, and they're one on one for one of one for fourth down. Yardage wise, the Panthers out yarded the Falcons by 120. And they they won the turnover battle two to one, and outpossessed the Falcons by eleven. That puts them back on the winning path. A lot of people are kind of counting them out, uh, but with a decently easy schedule and division, there's still an opportunity. I had them in the playoffs. Would love to see them get that momentum. It all starts with the offensive line with the Panthers, though. That's been the the huge, the huge no no. I you know a lot of people just like the Steelers want to put the blame on Sam Darnold, but when you have no time, you know it's it's hard to play QB. Um, and he could run well, but he's not a, you know, running, true running quarterback. The Bills, per usual, dominating the, the Dolphins, uh, 26 to 11. Josh Allen, 29 of 42, 249 with two tutties for 100 rating. He also led the team with, uh, in running, eight carries for 55 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Zach Moss and Devin Singletary still splitting the backfield. Devin Singletary, seven for 28 for a 4.0 average. And Zach Moss, 8 of 19, for a very not good 2.4 average on the day. Now, Cole Beasley leads the receiving core. 10 catches on 13 targets for 110 yards. Stephon Diggs did find the end zone. And for the Dolphins, Tua, 21 for 39, 205 yards and a pick. He had a 58 rating. He was also sacked two times. Now, Miles Gaskin getting some more carries. It's basically the the old Husky backfield here. Miles Gaskin, 12 carries for 36 yards. It's a three per uh, three yards per carry average. And then Savon Ahmed with seven carries for 22 yards. Devontae Packer, uh, Packer, Devontae Parker back in action. Eight catches, 85 yards. That's 10.6 per catch. Um, so he he was definitely to his favorite target and has been. Still no um, Fuller since he's been traded to the team. Uh, Jalen Waddle was in the active in this game, so that receiving core is getting more more closer to full health. Uh, Austin Reader did fumble a ball for the Dolphins, and on the defensive side, Jordan Poyer for the Bills, ten tackles, all of them solo with the pass defended. Uh, they did sack Tua twice, and Jordan Poyer did get an interception on the day. Team stats: the the Dolphins four of fourteen on third down. They were one for one on fourth. The Bills 6-13. Dolphins defense pretty good, but the Bills need to do better. They out-yarded the Dolphins by 90. Uh, won the turnover battle 2-0 and out-possessed the Dolphins by a minute. So the Bills are 5-2 now. The Dolphins won a 7. I tried telling people I thought the Dolphins overperformed last year. A lot of people feel like this is a huge shock, but with Tua Hurt trying to come back, I'm not too surprised. It'll be interesting to see what happens next year. The 49ers beating the the Bears on the road as both teams uh, have three wins on the season. And really this is, if I think about how to sum this game, Jimmy G keeping the starting uh, quarterback position. You know, he he was named starter. Trey Lance is healthy. 
I would assume that the play in this game against a pretty good Bears defense, that this would be the you know determining factor if they wanted to continue to start, you know, pretty boy Jimmy G. Very Jimmy G-like game. He was 17 for 28, 322 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions for 100 rating. The ground game behind that really good offensive line got going. Elijah Mitchell, 18 carries for 137 yards. It seems like anyone who's back there just finds a way, whether it's Moster, whether it's Telvin Coleman back in the day, Elijah Mitchell, whoever. Um, that's a 7.6 average. He had a touchdown as well. Jimmy G even ran for two touchdowns himself. Debo Samuel led the receiving core with a huge day. Six catches, 171 yards. He did have a long uh, reception of 83 yards on the, on the morning. And Justin Fields, the rookie, trying to gain that momentum against a very good defense. Um, you know, having to evade Joey Bosa all day. He was 19 of 27, 175 yards, a touchdown and a pick for 84 rating. He did run the ball really well. He had a huge, crazy highlight scramble, top 10 for sure. 10 carries, 103 yards, and a touchdown. And then Khalil Herbert leading that uh, backfield um, with 23 carries for 72 yards for a very mediocre 3.1 per carry average. And then Darnell Mooney leading the receiving core, six catches, 64 yards. Allen Robinson still not very much showing up on the stat sheet. Two catches, no, three catches for 21 yards. Defensively, any standouts? The 49ers did sack. I said Joey Bosa, by the way. It's Nick Bosa on the Niners. The 49ers did sack um, Justin Fields four times. Nick had two of those. And Josh Norman. Josh Norman coming on the stat sheet. He got a pick on the day um, for that Niner defense. Team stats. The Niners 4-10 on third. 1-for-1 on fourth. The Bears 8-15 on third down. 1-for-1 on fourth. The Niners out-yarded the Bears by 140. They won the turnover battle 1-0 to and out, got out-possessed by the Bears by 15 minutes, which is pretty wild. Moving on, the big brother, little brother game. I tried telling you, watch out for the Steelers in the AFC North. You know, the Browns did have Baker Mayfield. They did have Nick Chubb. They did have Jarvis and OBJ. The real big piece they're missing was Kareem Hunt, and it wasn't enough as the big brother takes down the little brother uh, 15 to 10 and very AFC North fo- Northy football like game. Big Ben 22 at 34, 266 and a touchdown. He was sacked twice with the 98 rating. How about Najee Harris, baby? 26 carries, 91 yards, a pedestrian 3.5 average, but a touchdown on the day. And Deontay Johnson, per usual, leading the way for the receiving core. Six catches, 98 yards. He had a long ball of 50. Really, the weird decision here was Mike Tomlin going for it, uh, or a fake field goal. Chris Boswell rolling out to throw it. You know, he was a, a baseball player, so he does have somewhat of an arm. Gets literally destroyed. The The fake field goal does not work out. And this is when they're down in the game. They need those points. And Boswell's out for the game for a concussion. He's questionable for this week. They don't have a backup kicker. Uh, the the punter, Presley Harvin, he, he's not a kicker. Um, so yeah, they, they weren't able to kick. They were going for two. They didn't get it. So definitely a a loss of points for the Steelers in this game, but they still got the victory, even though there were some questionable decisions. Baker Mayfield didn't see much coming from the potential shoulder injury. He was 20 for 31, 225, 
for an 86 rating, and he was sacked four times. Nick Chubb getting the carries with 16 carries, but not getting the typical yardage with the Steelers' front. He got 61 yards for a 3.8 average, and Dearness Johnson stole the touchdown on the day. For the passing game, Jarvis Landry did lead the team five catches, 65 yards. He did lose a fumble. Um, for the defensive side of Pittsburgh, TJ Watt with a sack and a half um, out of those four sacks. For the Browns, Malcolm Smith with 10 tackles and a pass defended. They did sack Big Ben twice, one of those by Miles Garrett. For Halloween, he had the tombstones in front of his house with each quarterback desacked. And this may be Ben's last game in Ohio. He's an Ohio boy. His record against the Browns is like 15-2-1. And, and tell Maker May Baker Mayfield he had one of the best records. Um, like if you look at his QB record against the Browns, better than most Browns quarterbacks. Um, so it was, a, I'm sure, a, a great win for him to be able to potentially go out and win his last game in front of the dog pound. Team stats, the Steelers. 4 of 13 on 3rd down, not very good there. 2 of 4 on 4th down. The, the Browns 3 of 10 on 3rd and 0 for 2 on 4th. Yardage-wise, the Steelers out-yarded the Browns by 64. They won the turnover battle 1 to 0. That was the big difference and out-possessed the Browns by 3 minutes. Another morning game, the Eagles wiping out the Lions. Some people thought the Lions might get another victory here. But the Eagles' defense was not about it as they won 44-6. Jalen Hurts, 9 for 14, 103 yards. Gardner Minshew even got in on the action at the end of the game. He was 2 for 2 for 11 yards. And then Jalen Hurts leading the backfield, 7 carries, 71 yards. And um, replacing uh, their running back on IR, Miles Sanders. Boston Scott with 12 carries. Jordan Howard with 12. Kenneth Gainwell with 13 as they were in the lead most of the game. Boston Scott seems to be the number one. He did get 60 yards and two touchdowns. Jordan Howard called up from the practice squad. Uh, I mean, how old is Jordan Howard? He's been playing. Seems like it's his last year every year. He's only 27, uh, but he's almost always cut. He's on practice squads at this point. He gets called up, surprisingly gets 12 carries for 57 yards. He finds the end zone twice as well. And then Kenneth Gainwell, the... A lot of fantasy people assumed would get, you know, majority of the workload. 13 carries, 27 yards for a very terrible 2.1 average. Seems like Boston Scott's going to keep getting the lead in that backfield. For the receiving core, Dallas Goder, six catches, 72 yards. Not, not much else there from the receiving core. For the Lions, Jared Goff, 25 of 34, 222, was sacked five times for 90 rating. The backfield with no Jamal Williams called out pretty much that morning. 12 carries, 27 yards. It's a 2.3 average, but playing from behind most of the game, um, it, it was mostly in, most most of the offense was run through the quarterback in the passing game. TJ Hawkinson leading the receiving core, 10 catches, 89 yards. Uh, DeAndre Swift did lose a fumble on the day. And for the defense, TJ Edwards for the Eagles, 13 tackles, two tackles for a loss, and, and a QB hit. Josh Sweat, the, the stud DN with two sacks uh, out of the six sacks for the Eagles. And uh, team stats, the Lions. Come on now. The Lions, 5 of 14 on third down, 2 for 5 on fourth. The Eagles, 5 of 10, which is surprising with the, the blowout score. 
Uh, but they did out yard the, the Lions by 130, won the turnover battle 1 to 0, and out possessed the Lions by 10 minutes. Probably the, you know, potential game of the week. Huge, huge AFC South matchup. The Titans escaped the Colts on the road. I figured the home team would have the advantage here on the road, 34 to 31. Ryan Tannehill, 22 at 33, 265 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks. He was also sacked three times. Derrick Henry getting his usual workload, but with that foot injury, probably in the third quarter, um, didn't get the typical yardage. 28 carries for 68 yards. That's a 2.4 average. But A.J. Brown really was the star here. 10 catches, 155 yards, and a touchdown. Um, for the for the Colts, Carson Wentz, really up and down game here. 27 for 51. They threw the ball 51 times for 231 yards, three touchdowns, two picks as well. Jonathan Taylor getting 16 carries for 70 yards. It's a 4.4 average. He does uh, get pay dirt in the end zone. And then Michael Pittman really blossoming in this Colts offense. Leads the receiving core. 10 catches, 86 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, defensive or Tyquan Lewis losing a fumble for the Colts. And defensively, Bobby Okariki, 12 tackles on the day. Um, and then Kenny Moore and Tyquan Lewis getting picks for the Colts, while Elijah Molden and Kevin Bayard got picks for the Titans. Um, for the team statistically, the Titans 8 for 17 on third, the Colts 7 of 16, the Titans 2 for 2 on fourth, the Colts 2 for 3. The Titans out yarded the Colts by 33. They the Colts lost the turnover battle 3 to 2 and got out possessed by the Titans by 4 minutes. Very tough loss as the Colts are 3 and 5, the Titans 6 and 2. You would think would be on the Easy pathway to winning the division, but without Derrick Henry, it'll be interesting to see how this offense does. Maybe you insert Adrian Peterson, everything's okay. Uh, but the Colts still have life, but a very tough loss at home. Very, very tough. That 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 game lost me my pick'em. Now the 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 blunder that uh, that eliminated my eliminator, pretty much everyone else too. It's just like pick pick against the Jets at this point. They got Mike White starting. Well, Mike White said, "I dare you to bet against me." This man balled and took down the juggernaut in the AFC North, the Cincinnati Bengals, which is weird to say. The Jets go to two and five. The Bengals five and three. Mike White thirty seven. Wanna be like Mike? 37 for 45, 405 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks. They just traded for Joe Flacco. He said, nah, get Flacco the hell out of here. Um, he had 107.9 rating. That is wild. Some person on a parlay put down that um, he would lead the league in receiving or in passing yards. Who in the hell would do that? Well, he did. It, it ended up paying the guy a tremendous amount of money, so congrats to that guy for having big balls. Michael Carter trying to get some momentum as the season progresses. 15 carries for 77 yards. It's a 5.1 average. He got a touchdown as well and ended up leading the team in receiving nine catches for 95 yards. For the Bengals, Joe Burrow, 21 to 34, 259, 259 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. On the ground, Joe Mixon getting 14 carries, but only 33 yards for a 2.4 average and a touchdown. And then T. Higgins leading the way. Jamar Chase held down a little bit, only had 32 yards and a touchdown, while T. Higgins had four catches for 97 yards. 
Uh, Jamison Crowder did lose a fumble on the day. C.J. Mosley for the Jets, 10 tackles and a tackle for loss. They did get three sacks on the Bengals. And then Wyoming always representing this man is a stud back there. Logan Wilson with 12 tackles. They got to uh, Mike White twice. Jesse Bates and Jermaine Pratt with picks for the uh, Bengals. And then Shaq Lawson with the pick for the for the Jets. Team stats, the Bengals 4-10 on third down, 0-1 on fourth. The Jets 6-11 for 11 on third down. The Jets out-yarded the Bengals just under 200 yards. They did lose the, the turnover battle 3-1, to one, but out-possessed the, the Bengals by 13 minutes. Wowzer. It could be a letdown game after a big win by the Bengals the week before. Who knows? But this next week, we'll really be able to find out what's happening in Cincy. Are they bungling or not? And then the Rams, playing somewhat of a tight game. It was more of a blowout. The, the Texans rallied late. But the Rams beat the Texans 38-22. to Matt Stafford, 21-32, 305 yards and three touchdowns. Darrell Henderson with 14 carries for 90 yards, an impressive 6.4 per average. He gets a touchdown as well. And Cooper Cup just keeps getting yards, baby. Seven catches, 115 yards and a touchdown. That's an FCS representation, Eastern Washington alum for the Texans. Davis Mills leading the way. Potentially his last start as Tyrod Taylor looks to be back in the mix. He's 29-38, 310 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. So pretty solid day for Davis Mills. Rex Burkhead leading the backfield for the Texans. Four carries, 21 yards and a touchdown. They said they were going to get Philip Lindsay and David Johnson back in the mix. Philip Lindsay only had three carries for eight yards. David Johnson, two for four. That backfield continues to be a disaster. Brandon Cooks led the way, though. Six catches, 83 yards, and a touchdown. I'm sure he was hoping to get out on the trade deadline, but he stays put. Uh, Danny Ammon, or no, excuse me. Defensively for the Texans, Justin Reed, 10 tackles. They got a sack on the day as a team. And for the Rams, they got to uh, Davis Mills five times, a sack and a half by the perennial defensive player of the year, Aaron Donald. So crazy to think that he is going to have Leonard Floyd and Von Miller on that defensive line. Uh, but Ernest Jones got a pick for the Rams as well. Team stats, the Rams, 4 of 11. Got to do a lot better than that on third down. 0 for 1 on fourth. The, the Texans, 4 of 12 on third down. The Rams out-yarded the Texans by 140. Won the turnover battle 1-0 and outpossessed the Texans by seven minutes. A really good afternoon game. The Patriots still went on the road against the Chargers coming off the bye week. You'd think the Chargers would be fresh, come out. But the, tech, uh, the Patriots win 27-24. They're now 4-4 four and four on the year while the Chargers dropped to 4-3. and three. Mac Jones, decent game, 18 for 35, 218 yards. Damian Harris with a good game on the ground, 23 carries for 80 yards. It's a 3.5 average and a touchdown. And the receiving court led by no one other than Nelson Aguilar, three catches for 60 yards. He had a 44-yard catch. While Kendrick Bourne did fumble the ball, did lose a fumble. Justin Herbert with a pretty much similar stat line, 18 of 35, 223 yards, but he had two touchdowns and two picks. He was sacked three times on the day. Justin Jackson leading the backfield with only three carries, but he did have a big outburst. He had 79 yards, most of that on that 75-yard run up the middle. 
while Austin Eckler had 11 carries for 64 yards. That's a 5.8 per average, and he had a touchdown on the day. Keenan Allen leading the receiving core, six catches, 77 yards, and a touchdown. My fantasy stud, Mike Williams, seems to not be fully healthy. He's been struggling, and that has led the Chargers' offense to struggle. Only two catches for 19 yards. Defensively, uh, Matthew Judon with a sack and a half for the Patriots. What an offseason acquisition he was. Adrian Phillips with not one, but two interceptions on the day. One of those being a pick six. Team stats, the, the Patriots 9-19 on third. The Chargers 4-12 of 12 and 1-1 one for one on fourth down. The Chargers did outyard the Patriots by 17 yards. They did lose the turnover battle 2-1 to one and were outpossessed by 11 minutes. So the Patriots looking like a potential wildcard playoff team as we see it and get better week by week. Meanwhile, here in Seattle, the Jaguars smoked by the Seahawks. Geno Smith and crew, 31-7. Geno, 20 for 24, 195 and two touchdowns for 128 rating. Best game in a Seahawks uniform. Russell Wilson did have the, um, not the splint, but the, the nail or rod out of his finger. They are on a bye week, so there is potential that he starts week 10. Um, Alex Collins led the backfield, 10 carries for 44 yards. Tyler Lockett back in action, 12 catches, 142 yards. Um, and DK Metcalf, six catches, 43 yards, but had two touchdowns on the day. For the Jags, Trevor Lawrence with 54 attempts, 32 for 54, 238, a touchdown and a pick. Carlos Hyde led the backfield as James Robinson left early. He only had four carries before he left. That's another fantasy player of mine. Not looking good. Uh, Carlos Hyde with nine carries for 32 yards. It's a 3.6 average. And the receiving core led by their favorite new tight end, Urban Meyer's favorite guy, eight catches, 68 yards. But what a shit show Jacksonville has been. They fall to one and six, the Seahawks three and five. In the NFC West, even with Russell back, they're in a pretty deep hole. Uh, but the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm not sure what to expect of them. I would be shocked if Urban Meyer finished the season, though. Um, Josh Allen did get two sacks for the Jaguars defense and for the Seahawks, Bobby Wagner, the tackling machine, 14 tackles, Jamal Adams with 10 himself for the team stats, Seahawks three of 10 on third down. It's crazy that you're three of 10. You still find a way to win. They were one for one on fourth and the Jags five of 14 on third one for four on fourth down. They did outyard the Seahawks by 80, lost a turnover battle 1 to 0 and outpossessed the Seahawks by 3 minutes. The Broncos back in the win column back to 500. They've beat the Washington football team in Mile High uh 17 to 10. They were up late. They almost lost the game. Taylor Heineke couldn't quite capture the victory, but Teddy Bridgewater 19 of 26, 213 yards and a touchdown. He was sacked 4 times. Melvin Gordon had 10 carries for 47 yards and a touchdown versus Javante's nine for 35. And Tim Patrick led the receiving core three catches for 64 yards. Even though Jerry Judy is back, he had four catches for 39. For the Washington football team, Heineke 24 of 39, 270 and a touchdown and two picks. He was sacked five times as well. And the backfield was led by Jarrett Patterson. 11 carries for 46 yards, which is a 4.2 average. Antonio Gibson only getting 8 for 34. 
which is a 4.3 average. It seems like they're just trying to get Gibson through the season, um, not running the ball like he was late last year. For Washington, the receiving core was led by J.D. McKissick, eight catches for 83 yards. Uh, he seems to be, you know, the, the third down back. He's usually leading the team in receiving yards, which is tough. Um, Terry McLaren only had three for 23 on the day. Melvin Gordon did lose a uh, fumble on the day. Out of the five sacks for Denver, Malik Reed with two of those, Draymond Jones with a sack and a half. And for the Washington football team, they did have four sacks, no multi-sack game. And Justin Simmons with two interceptions for the Broncos, as he's always flying around in that backfield. The Broncos were 7-13 on third down. The Washington football team, 5-14, and they were 1-for-5 on fourth down conversions. Yardage-wise, they did out-yard the Broncos by 70. They lost the turnover battle 2-1 to one and out-possessed the Broncos by three minutes. Heading into another afternoon game, a little bit of a shocker, but if you watched last year's games, the Saints defense gave Tom Brady struggles. Will they find a way to win 36-27, even though, sadly, they lose their starting quarterback, Jameis Winston, as he tore his ACL, will be out for the year. He was 6-10 for 56 yards and a touchdown before leaving. So they, you would assume that Taysom Hill fills in. Well, he's coming off concussion protocol. So he goes 16 for 29. Trevor Simeon does 16 for 29, 159 yards and a touchdown, finds a way to win. Obviously, Kamara getting his fair workload, 19 carries for 61 yards. He had a meager 3.2 average and a touchdown. And the leading receiver on one catch, Kevin White. Like I said, the old top pick that's been cut, signed, cut, practice signs, cut, makes it appears, makes a big time play for the Saints. Somehow leaves the team in receiving in a victory with 36 points, which is wild. Uh, Tom Brady, 28 for 40, 375, four touchdowns and two picks. The backfield was not very existent. Um, the leading rusher was Giovanni Bernard with only two carries but 30 yards. Leonard Fournette had eight but only had 26 yards for a 3.3 average. Chris Godwin did lead the receiving core at the big day. Eight catches, 140 yards and a touchdown. Antonio Brown still out. Uh, Tom Brady did lose a fumble as well. On the defensive side of the things, the sacks got to Brady or the Saints got to Brady three times. And for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Devin White continuing to rack up double-digit tackles, 10 tackles with a QB hit. And PJ Williams and CJ Gardner Johnson with interceptions for Houdat Nation. Now the Saints ended up being five of fourteen on third down. The uh, Bucks eight of thirteen. The Saints were 2 of third, two for 3 on 4th, while the Bucks were 0 for 1. The Bucks did out-yard the Saints by 60, uh, but they lost the turnover battle 3-0. to zero. That's a good way to lose the game, a minus 3 in the turnover differential, even though the Saints' offense didn't put up crazy yardage. And they were out-possessed by the Saints by 7 minutes. Huge win for the Saints. They're a sneaky 5-2, and two, even though they don't have a starting quarterback. Uh, seems to be like it'll be Taysom Hill. Um, they didn't acquire anyone at the trade deadline, and the Bucks fall to six and two. The NFL, not every, not the you know the top dogs or turning champs can't win every week. Now on the Sunday night game, no Dak Prescott, but it wasn't enough. Kirk Cousins chokes on primetime per usual. The Cowboys win twenty to sixteen and go to six and one. 
as the Vikings stay under 500 at 3 and 4. This is a must-win game for the Vikings if you want to have a chance. Well, Kirk Cousins was 23 for 35, 184 yards and a touchdown. Dalvin Cook did get 18 carries for 78 yards. It's a 4.3 average. And Adam Thielen led the receiving core, six catches for 78 yards and a touchdown. Justin Jefferson pretty much non-existent with no big play balls in this game. He had two for 21. For the Cowboys, Cooper Rush getting the start, playing pretty good ball. 24 for 40, 325 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. He also um, was sacked three times. Zeke Elliott got 16 carries for only 50 yards, which is a 3.1 average. And Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb were everywhere running on the field. Cooper had eight catches for 122 yards and a tutty, while C.D. had six for 112. Uh, Cooper Rush did lose a fumble. But for the Vikings defense, they got three sacks. For the Cowboys, Micah Parsons, man. This kid's a stud. 11 tackles, 10 of those solo. Four tackles for a loss and a uh, QB hit. They were able to get to Kirk Cousins once. But Xavier Woods ended up with the interception for the Vikings. And statistically, the Vikings, one of 13 on third down on Sunday night. Yuck. Uh, The Cowboys, seven for 14. And then the Vikings are one of two on fourth. The Cowboys out-yarded the Vikings by 130, even though they did lose a turnover battle 2-0. And they out-possessed the Vikings by five minutes. Really head-scratching game for the Vikings. Prime time is just not suited for them. Which had our Monday night game. Almost another crazy game. The Chiefs still struggling. My Super Bowl favorites, I just booked them in. I thought they were like Thor. They're undefeated. Well, they find a way to win against the pesky Giants. They move to 4-4, four and four, while the Giants are 2-6 and six in the three-point defeat. Patty Mahomes, 29 for 48, 275 yards, a touchdown and an interception. The interception streak continues, even though this was a crazy deflection off a player into the hands of the Giants' defense. Now, the backfield was a two-guy, a two-horse backfield. Darrell Williams, 13 for 49, that's a 3.8 average. And Derek Gore coming out of nowhere, 11 carries, 48 yards for a 4.4 average and a touchdown. This is a big boy that they were trying to use for um, the help in the pass game as a a blocker in the backfield. He is a true rookie out of University of Louisiana Monroe. Never heard of him. He gets some time, makes the best of it, gets the end zone. And then the Cheetah, Tyree Kill, 12 catches, 94 yards, and a tutty on the day. For the Giants, Daniel Jones, 22 for 32, 222, two touchdowns and a pick. I had him start because all my players are fucking hurt and Dak Prescott didn't play. Um, Devontae Booker, 15 carries for 60 yards as Barkley is still out. That's a 4.0 average. And John Ross, the speedster, leads the receiving core. Two catches for 72 yards. He had a 50-yard reception on the night. Travis Kels did lose a fumble in the game. Willie Gay got a pick for the Chiefs and Julian Love with a pick for the Giants. On the Chiefs defense, Nick Bolton, 11 tackles, one QB hit. They did sack Danny Dimes three times, one of those from Frank Clark. For the Giants, Adoree Jackson, when corners are getting this many tackles, it's usually not a good sign. He did have 12 tackles, eight of those solo with the pass defended. Leonard Williams with a sack on the day. 
Now, the Chiefs were 5 for 12 on third down. The Giants 4 of 12 and 1 for 2 on fourth. The Chiefs outyarded the Giants by 68. They lost the turnover battle 2 to 1, but outpossessed the Giants by 9 minutes for our week 8 action. And we move into week 9, the second half of this elongated season. And what an amazing primetime Thursday night matchup. The Colts, 3 and 5 Colts, hosting Mike White and the 2 and 5 Jets. I would assume after the performance he had, he would start over Joe Flacco. Now, I'm going to take the Colts in this one at home. They need to have a win. Don't forget the the in-season hard knocks is about to start. You know, you can't be losing like that. Carson Wentz has got to figure it out. You know, he's not a, a stranger to the cameras. He's been on the Amazon all or nothing before as well. But yeah, this is uh, not a game that I'm super excited about. The most intriguing storyline here is a 10.5 point spread. Can the Colts cover or is this going to be yucky? And will Mike White keep hucking the ball? Moving into Sunday morning, AFC North, baby. The Bengals hosting the Browns. I feel like the Bengals are favored by two and a half. I feel like the Bengals are bungling and the the Browns really need this win. They can't fall under 400. I'm going to take the Browns as the dogs this week. I had a lot of dogs last week. Not a lot of it paid off for me. We'll talk about the the UFC fights later in college football. Uh, But I'm taking the Browns on the road here. The 6-1 Cowboys hosting the 4-4 Broncos. The Broncos getting a little rid of some defensive players. Dak Prescott expected to start. I'm taking the Cowboys at home on Sunday morning. We have the Dolphins hosting the Texans. The 1-7 Dolphins versus the 1-7 Texans. This will probably be blacked out everywhere just because. I'm just kidding, but I'm going to take Tua with the revenge game here. Tyrod Taylor playing, though. The Dolphins favored by six and a half. I doubt they cover that spread. Uh, with Tyrod Taylor, it could be a sneaky upset pick, but I'm going to go with two on the Dolphins. The Saints, five and two Saints, hosting the three and four Falcons with no offensive weapons and that Saints defense. I'm going with Houdat. They're favored by six. I'm going to have them covering, and I'm assuming Taysom Hill is a starter this week. Simeon looked pretty good, though, uh, coming out of nowhere. Uh, the two and six Giants hosting the five and two Raiders. Obviously, some crazy storylines with Henry Ruggs. I wouldn't expect him to play, but I expect Darren Waller and that offense to be all over the Giants on the road. I'm taking the Raiders. They're favored by two and a half. That seems pretty appropriate. Big game here of two four and four teams. The Panthers hosting the Patriots. The Patriots are a four-point road favorite. And I'm going to say that after the big game against the Chargers, uh, Sam Darnold and the Panthers find a way. As long as Sam Darnold plays... I know that this is coming out now. It's Tuesday night when I do my picks and parlays. Like Sam Darnold does a play. I'm not going to pick him. But if Sam Darnold plays, I'm taking the Panthers uh, to win at home as the dogs. Two dogs on the day. Uh, the one and six Jaguars hosting the five and two uh, Bills. The Bills are favored by 14 and a half. I'm going to say they cover if Geno Smith and the crew could smack him around like that. What in the hell is the Bills going to do? Especially if their only good offensive player, James Robinson, isn't playing. I really hope he does. My fantasy, fingers crossed, knock on wood. Now, really fun morning game. The Ravens hosting the Vikings, the 5-2 and two Ravens, 3-4 and four Vikings. The, the Ravens coming off a of bye week, their 5.5-point favorite. You know, the Vikings, yeah, they lost to Cooper Rush and the Cowboys. The Cooper Rush-led Cowboys has a lot of offensive weapons, and the Vikings just crumble in prime time. But I think that Dalvin Cook has his way with this defense. The beaten-up Ravens offense isn't able to find a way to win, 
even though they did lose Hunter for the year, which is a very brutal loss. I'm taking the Vikings as another dog on the road uh, as they find themselves back to 500. The Ravens have, have won a lot of ugly games close, you know, 66-yard field goals and all. For the afternoon slate, the 3-5 and five Eagles hosting the 4-3 and three Chargers. The Chargers, a one-and-a-half road favorite. I'm going to take the Chargers on the road, and they will cover against the Jalen Hurts-led Eagles. A huge game here, and, you know, I'm not too sure what to think, but uh, the 4-4 four and four Chiefs hosting the 7-1 and one Packers. Devontae Adams back. The offensive weapons back for the Packers. The Packers, oh, they don't have the spread updated right now. Uh, they have it as even. I'm going to take the Packers on the road. I just don't trust in the Chiefs. They could barely beat the Giants. Each week, I expect them to come, have a coming out party, and maybe they just need a big opponent to do so. But you're 4-4 four and four in the AFC West. You're a borderline playoff team in the positioning right now. Uh, you got to find a way to win. So I'll probably eat my words. I hope I eat my words here. And the Chiefs look back to normal. Uh, but Melvin Ingram ain't going to help that defense. And who knows if he even plays this week anyways. So I'm going to take the Packers on the road. For the other afternoon game, another fun divisional matchup in the NFC West. The 49ers 3-4 and four, hosting the 7-1 and one Cardinals. Still at this point, it's an even even line. And I'm assuming because of the to-be-determined-if-Kyler-Murray starts. Who even is the backup there? Arizona Cardinals depth chart. Colt McCoy is, Colt McCoy is a starter. Colt McCoy, whether it's Colt McCoy or Kyler Murray, I'm just going to say the 49ers find a way to win. Jimmy and that offense is clicking. I still expect them to implement uh, the young rookie Trey Lance into that offense with or without J uh, Jimmy starting. Uh, but the run game there, I think that defense is going to find a way. They have to find a or they have to find a way to win at home if they want to stay relevant in this division. So I'm going to go with the 49ers at home that afternoon game. And then the Sunday night showdown that seems so great got lost a little bit of the luster with Derrick Henry. Hopefully Adrian Peterson's able to suit up. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, but the seven and one Rams hosting the six and two Titans on NBC. The Rams are seven and a half point favorite. I'm going to take the Rams. I don't think they cover with or without Derrick Henry. Um, Von Miller in uniform as well, but those Rams look like the real deal. Definitely probably my NFC favorites as of now. And then Monday night, my Pittsburgh Steelers, 4-3, and three, hosting the Bears, 3-5 and five on ESPN. No Manning cast? Good, because I ain't watching it anyway. They don't even talk about the game half the time. I love their interviews. It's a fun thing. But why not just have a studio show at that point? Uh, the Steelers are 6.5-point favorites. I don't think they cover the spread, but I'm taking the Pittsburgh Steelers to beat the Bears at home, and they're going to move to 5-3. and three. What a fun week we have coming up. We're really starting to figure out a lot about teams, and I, I'm excited about it. What I also am excited about is college football, but not this headline. In college football, TCU, the, the university that was grown and developed by this man, Gary Patterson, doesn't let him finish the season. He is out. I can't believe it before the season's over. That's a disgrace to me. A TCU team that wasn't in the FBS, that didn't have a big stadium, that wasn't a competitive football team. He had brought them there, and they had the nerve to get him out. You know, in America, no job is safe, especially in college football, or especially in football as a head coach. 
brutal, brutal news out of TCU, whether they're a good football team the past few years or not. That is very disrespectful to me, in my opinion. Drake London, the stud receiver, you know, potential future NFL stud receiver as well, out for the year for USC. USC kind of in a lost season anyways. Um, and the Pac-12 sucks. Unless you look at the new college football playoff rankings, the shit blows my mind. We'll talk about that in a second, though. Uh, first, let's talk about the AP rankings that come out versus the college football playoff rankings. So here's the top five and how drastically different they are. Usually the college football playoff rankings is more logical and makes sense to me than the AP, but this year, completely different. I don't know if they're trying some new shit or what, what had happened to the committee. When I saw this, I had literally, my jaw dropped. Top five for the AP, Georgia, Cincy, Bama, Oklahoma, Michigan State for the college football playoff rankings, Georgia, Bama, Michigan State, Oregon, Ohio State. Are you freaking kidding me? How do you have a Pac-12 team in Oregon who has not even looked good, has lost to Stanford as a top four team? That is shocking to me. But let's keep, stick here with the AP rankings. I'll do my typical overrated, underrated. And then from next week, I'm only going to do this for the college football playoff rankings. Well, teams that I think are overrated, this was before the committee had come out. I wrote written this on Monday night. Oregon, Cincinnati, Michigan, Texas A&M, Notre Dame, Houston, Wake Forest, Baylor. Wake Forest and Baylor more so where they're at. I don't think they don't belong. They're just a little overrated. Um, Louisiana, the Ragin' Cajuns back in, and UTSA, way too high. Underrated, Ole Miss and Penn State. And the college football playoff rankings, they have the nerve to put Michigan State in the top three. That's fine. But how is a 7-1 Oregon team, number four, that, that's super overrated. You put five, Ohio State, who has a loss, over the 8-0 Cincinnati team who did beat Notre Dame, who is number 10th in your playoff rankings. And then they have another Big Ten team, Michigan, at 7-1. Have you watched Michigan play football this year? It has not been that oppressive. The Big Ten, to me, has not been that impressive. Um Sure, you want to have love for the SEC and put Georgia Bama 1-2. That makes sense to me. But this is just by far the craziest shit I have seen and makes absolutely no sense to me. This is the worst rankings in the era of the college football playoff rankings. And maybe a lot of this has to do with, you know, hey, you know, like Oklahoma, 9-0. Have they played close games? Sure, but they have not been undefeated this far in the season. They're always in the college football playoff uh, committee's top four. Right now, they have tough games against Baylor, Oklahoma State coming up, and Iowa State, who's kind of falling apart. But maybe it's that they see that and they want to give the other teams up in the, the rankings. I don't know. But if you're a true college football fan, what we need to do is not look at this because there's too many weeks of football left. There's still the conference championships. And let me give you some clarity and what I think is eventually going to happen. I think that if Oklahoma, Ohio State win out, the top four, pretty much like we could have guessed it coming in, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. That's the four teams I, I, I really expect. But let's look at the top teams and who they have left on the remaining schedule. Georgia, they don't really have any tough games left on their remaining schedule. They will have the SEC championship. And even if they, they win or lose that game, which I would assume would be Bama, 
I'm guessing the p- committee is going to put them in because they just love the SEC. It is the best conference. I mean, it is what it is. Number two, Alabama. They do host Arkansas and play at Auburn, the, the rivalry game on the road. Alabama has looked susceptible, which still blows my mind that they just automatically put them in number two in this rankings. Like the, Alabama hasn't looked as dominant, so they might slip up there, which would mean it doesn't even matter. But if they do slip up in one of those games, does it affect Georgia? They should at least be lower. I'm sure they'll still have Georgia in. You got to have an SEC team in. That's the way they think. So that'll be interesting to track. Michigan State has games on the road at Ohio State. They are hosting Penn State. I am expecting them to lose at Ohio State. That offense, you can't live through a running back in college football, especially in the Big Ten. Maybe you can, but they struggled against a Michigan team whose offense isn't nearly as explosive as Ohio State. So I'm going to give Ohio State the edge there. Hosting Penn State, that's still a tough game. It's really going to depend what, what Sean Clifford shows up. That team wins and loses through him. Their defense is good. They have other uh, good playmakers. It's just going to defend, dep- depend on how his playmaking is. So I'd expect Michigan to have a loss, which I would assume gets them out. They still have the Big Ten Championship if they make it, which Ohio State to me is better. Oregon, they play at Utah, is their toughest game left. And they have the Pac-12 Championship, which to me doesn't mean shit. So if Oregon wins out, can they actually give them a playoff shot? To me, again, I think it's where they're at today. But if Oklahoma, if a team like Oklahoma, who's undefeated, wins out, wins their conference championship, I don't think there's any way you could give them Oregon a higher ranking, especially because they have tougher opponents. Oklahoma State's ranked 11 here. Baylor's ranked 12. I would assume that gives them credit. And maybe Oklahoma's down there because they haven't played or defeated someone in their rankings. Um, I'm not too sure. <laughs> Uh, But how about Cincy? They got shafted at number six, undefeated. They have a a win against one of their top 10 teams in their rankings. Um, They do host SMU, which is going to be a tough game. Anything could happen in that game. And then their conference championship. But if they win out, I I don't know if they're going to give them the shot, which, you know, everyone wants to see an expanded playoff. I'm, I'm all for it. And then Michigan, they have at Penn State and they host Ohio State. I could see them losing both of those games. I don't see them as a serious contender, but the fact that they had the balls to put them ahead of Wake Forest, who's undefeated in Oklahoma, really just mind boggles me because I have not been impressed at all. Then Oklahoma, they have at Baylor. They're hosting Iowa State and at Oklahoma State. So two of their toughest games on the road, uh, especially their rivalry game against Oklahoma State and then the Big 12 championship. I do think Oklahoma wins out. I think the team is transformed since they've had Caleb Williams in at quarterback, and that defense is healthier. A lot of their big missing pieces are back. So I do think Oklahoma, who hasn't been undefeated all these years in the rankings, go undefeated. So I don't see how they can't have them in there. If they didn't, I mean, all hell would break down. And then Wake Forest, you know, I'm bringing them up because they're undefeated. I do think they're overrated, but they do have a game at North Carolina and Sam Howell. I'm actually picking them. That's this week. We'll get to that in a minute. And then they have a game at Clemson. So I see, I would expect them to lose one of those plus the ACC championship. So I don't see them as a real contender, but again, they went out. Those are pretty good games. Clemson's not ranked. Uh, North Carolina isn't either, but they've been in the rankings. So we'll see what they have to do. But again, for clarity, Ohio state, um, Oklahoma went out, insert them in there. And then 
if Alabama doesn't slip up at Arkansas or what was the other one? Auburn, I would assume them and Georgia to be in. The, the interesting thing will be, let's say Alabama does slip up. Georgia wins the SEC championship. Alabama should be out. Who's the next team in, right? You have Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State. I, I, you know, Do you give Cincy the shot? Do they give the Big Ten championship? Well, if Ohio State's a Big Ten champion, you know that's where things are really going to be interesting. So I kind of hope that happens just to see what they do. Anyways, let's go over last week's games. But I saw this, you know, the unveiling today, and I was just like, I've never seen, I never thought I would agree more with the AP rankings than I do with the college football playoff rankings. The only thing that the playoff ranking does better is it doesn't have Houston, Louisiana, or UTSA in them, right? Sorry, UTSA, but the Roadrunners, you know, they're 8 no with the best win probably at Illinois. So just saying. I apologize, UTSA fans. I know what it's like to be dogged, but let's just be realistic here. All right. So last week across the FBS, North Carolina, or it's not North Carolina, Coastal Carolina, the 24th ranked Chanticleers, moved to 7-1. and one. As they escaped Troy on Thursday night, thirty-five to twenty-eight, one of the higher passed or a pa- one of the higher-rated quarterbacks this year, Grayson McCall, fourteen for twenty-six, two ninety-four, two hundred ninety-four yards and a, two touchdowns, and Javen Healy, the receiver, five receptions, one hundred sixteen yards and a touchdown for them. Moving into Saturday, a potential good matchup. Well, Georgia, the Bulldogs. Trump on Florida on the Florida Gators 34 to 7. Stetson Bennett getting a start again. He's 10 of 19, 161 yards. He had a touchdown and two picks. I would assume that we start seeing JT Barrett, but who knows? For Florida, Emory Jones, 10 of 14, 112 yards. Anthony Richardson, 12 of 20, 82 yards and two picks. I'm not too sure what happened here. If they didn't want to play Emory, he was hurt or he got hurt. I didn't watch this game. Um, but definitely something to keep an eye on. Let's, let's see what Google has to say. Emory Jones hurt. Let's see September stuff. About a month ago. Yeah. So I'm not too sure what happened there. Something to figure out. Uh, Zamir white for Georgia, 14 carries 105 yards and a touchdown. And the Gators turned the ball over three times. So did Georgia. But they still smoked Florida, 34-7. to Georgia looking like the real deal. Um, Cincinnati easily beats Tulane, 31-12. to Desmond Ritter, 17-27, 227, and three touchdowns. And then Josh Wiley, uh, four receptions, 79 yards, and two of those touchdowns. Oklahoma. First non-close game against a 5-4 and four team granted in the Big 12 over Texas Tech, 52-21. to Caleb Williams, 23 for 30, 402 yards. Not five, but a six-burger, six touchdowns on the day. Are you kidding me? Like, this kid keeps putting up showing like this. He might pull in some Heisman votes. Uh, Marvin Mims back on the scene, four catches, 135 yards, and two touchdowns. Now, potentially the biggest game on the day. Ohio State beating Penn State at home in the in, in the shoe, thirty three to twenty four. 
Uh, Sean Clifford, 35 of 52. I threw the ball a lot, 52 times. 361 yards, a touchdown, and a, and a pick. Performances like this, I'd expect him to be able Penn State to beat Michigan State. Uh, Jahan Dotson, 11 catches, 127 yards. Parker Washington, 9 for 108. For Ohio State, C.J. Stroud, 22 of 34, 305 yards and a tutty. Trayvon Henderson, 28 carries, 152 yards and a touchdown. Chris Olave didn't even have a big game. Three catches, 44 yards and a touchdown. And Ohio State still put up 33 points on that uh, very good Penn State defense, even though one was a fumble scoop, scoop and score. The game I did pick right as a dog, though. Michigan State beating Michigan. Kind of a crazy game. And a lot of the credit that needs to be given is to, in my opinion, the Heisman frontrunner, Kenneth Walker III. This man had 23 carries for 197 yards. That's an 8.6 average, five touchdowns on the day. While Peyton Thorne was 19 to 30, 196 yards and two picks. And for the bleak Michigan offense that I think is hella overrated, Cade McNamara, 28 for 44, 383 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. And the leading receiver, Andrew Anthony, six catches for 155 yards and two touchdowns. I took a snapshot of something pretty cool that I saw about Walker. Um, he's a 10th career 100-yard game. He's got the most rushing touchdowns in series history against the two teams and most rush rushing touchdowns by any player versus Michigan all time. Bravo. Bravo. What a fucking stud he is. And I'm so happy, so happy that Michigan State found a way to win. Until I saw the playoff rankings and they had them and Michigan ahead of Oklahoma. I was like, what the fuck? Uh, anyways, Michigan State, Sparties stay undefeated. Colorado blowing out or getting blown out by Oregon. The seventh-ranked Oregon, 52 to 29. Anthony Brown, 25 of 31, 307 yards and three touchdowns. You know, I was thinking about personally going and seeing Oregon play here in Seattle this weekend against the Huskies, but there's a huge fight card on. I'd rather watch that than watch this shitty team. But I, I can't believe they have the nerve to put a Pac-12 team in the Final Four. Maybe they're just trying to appeal some of the Pac-12 people because they haven't had a team in there in a long time. Iowa upset by Wisconsin. That offense is just atrocious. It shows you how overrated they are. I couldn't believe Iowa was the dogs in this one. I picked them in my parlay, and it ruined everything. Spencer Petrus, 9 of 19 for 93 yards. I mean, the, the, what a terrible offensive showing. And uh, there wasn't a lot of offense done by Wisconsin, but they didn't need to. Um, the Iowa Hawkeyes also had three turnovers. Wisconsin was out early. Iowa can't play well from behind. Pretty crazy game Saturday morning. Uh, Auburn defeats Ole Miss. Another surprise for me. Auburn, I had been rooting for them. Bo Nix had been looking like shit. I was confused. I started discrediting them. Bo Nix started gaining momentum, and so did Auburn. Uh, Bo Nix, 22-30, 276 yards and a touchdown. And this guy that really helps the offensive run, Tank Bigsby, 23 carries, 140 yards, 6.1 average, and a touchdown. Knicks also had two running touchdowns on the day. Meanwhile, Heisman candidate Matt Carrell, 21 of 37, 289 and a pick. You know, he was questionable on playing. He's had some health issues, uh, but he did. And Jacor Pearson, seven catches, 135 yards for Ole Miss as they fall to 6-2. and two. 
And Auburn sneakily six and two right in there. They beat Bama. Shit's going to get interesting. Somewhat of a fun game here. Notre Dame beating North Carolina. Sam Howell, 24-31, 341 yards and a touchdown in defeat. But Kyron Williams running everywhere, 22 carries, 199 yards and a touchdown. And Josh Downs leading the way per usual, 10 catches, 142 yards. Another little SEC upset that I did not expect. Um, I picked Kentucky to win. They lost to Mississippi State 31-17. Will Rogers, 36-39, 344 yards and a touchdown. Sam Hartman and Wake Forest kept rolling over Duke, 45-7. Sam was 24-37, 402 yards and three touchdowns. This guy gets no credit. Hey, you, you know, they're 8-0. He puts up big stats every week. I don't give them enough credit either, but their best wins are, you know, Florida State, Virginia, Louisville, Syracuse. You look at those every year, you're like, hey, man, those are some good wins. Not this year, though. And they play at North Carolina, so that's going to be a fun game. I'm taking North Carolina in the upset. I think Sam Howell's going to show out. We'll get to that later. Oklahoma State rolls Kansas as expected. Spencer Sanders, 12 of 19, 157 yards and two touchdowns. Baylor beating Texas. I took Texas as the dogs in this one. Did not work out for me. The freshman Casey Thompson, 23 for 38, 280 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Bajan Robinson, a whopping 17 carries, a terrible 43 yards for a 2.5 average and a touchdown. The speedster Xavier Worthy, four catches, 115 yards and a tutty. Meanwhile, for Baylor, Gary Bohannon, not with a perfect game himself, 18 to 31, 222 yards and two picks. But Abraham Smith had 20 carries for 113 yards and a touchdown as Baylor wins 34, 31-24. I'm excited for that Oklahoma matchup as Oklahoma has a bye this week. The Kenny Pickett-led Pittsburgh Panthers. Man, I really wanted these guys to win. But sneakily, Miami might have found their quarterback of the future. Miami defeats Pittsburgh on the road 38-34. Tyler Van Dyke, 32-42, 426 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. Charleston Rambo, the ex-Sooner, seven catches, 101 yards. For Pittsburgh, Kenny Pickett, 55 attempts. It's wild. He's 39 for 52, 519 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks. I saw a recent mock draft that had the Steelers taking Pickett at the end of the first. Oh, boy, do I hope so. Uh, Jordan Addison, eight, eight catches, 145 yards for Pittsburgh as they take got get taken down by Miami. The Miami defense isn't back, but they might have finally finally found a quarterback. And then SMU finding, uh, getting upset on the road to Houston. Tanner Mordecai, 24-37, 305 yards and three touchdowns. Meanwhile, Houston's Clayton Toon, 27 for 37, 412 yards and four tutties on the day. Nathaniel Dell, nine catches, 165 yards and three tutties. What a big day by the receiver. Fresno State upsetting San Diego State. I picked that one. That was one of the dogs I had, but a lot of the other dogs didn't pay off for me. Uh, Fresno beat San Diego State 30-20. to 20. Jake Hayner, 25-42, 306 yards and a touchdown. And Jordan Mims, 29 carries, 186 yards and two touchdowns. And Josh Kelly, five catches, 107 yards for Fresno State. As they move to 7-2, SDSU 7-1. Another upset I didn't see. 
West Virginia beating Iowa State 38-31. Jarrett Doge, 30-46, 370 yards and three touchdowns. Brees Hall, future NFL running back, 24 carries, 167 yards and a touchdown. And Bryce Ford, Wheaton, six catches, 106 yards and, and two touchdowns for West Virginia. In a wildly high-scoring game that I did not expect. Um, I did expect BYU to win, but not 66-49 to over Virginia. Jaron Hall for BYU, 22-37, 349 yards and three touchdowns. But give it up for Tyler Algier, 29 carries, 266 yards, five tutties on the day. And Dontavian Wicks, four catches, 125 yards and a touchdown for Virginia. Virginia Tech beat Georgia Tech 26-17. They moved to 4-4 four four as Georgia Tech drops to 3-5. That's always a fun, close game. Liberty smokes UMass as expected, 62-17. Liberty 7-2. The reason I bring this up, Mark Willis, man. 19-27, 304 yards and a four touchdowns. He had a 60-yard touchdown. That's where the draft stock comes in. This guy is a potential first-round pick. Uh, been keeping an eye on him even though they don't play very good competition. What else did we have in the FBS world? Washington State upsetting Arizona State 34-21. Clemson beating Florida State. This would usually be a big-time game. It's crazy that Florida State's dropped to 3-5. Clemson 5-3. They won 30-20. DJ, you know, word of him potentially getting benched. He goes 19-31, 189 yards and a touchdown. Justin Ross finally showing up on a box score, six catches for 85 yards. Minnesota sneakily, you know, they're in the playoff committee, top 25, even though they lost their stud running back. Uh, but they're six, moved to six and two after they beat Northwestern 41 to 14. Purdue wins again as they beat Nebraska 28 to 23. Kansas State beats TCU to end Garrett Patterson's tenure. Uh, they won 31 to 12. My Wyoming Cowboys, I said I couldn't pick them to San Jose State because that offense, and sure shit, you know, they lose 27-21 to against not a very good San Jose State team to fall to 4-4. Four and four. How they're at 4-4 four and four still shocks to me. They're 0-4 in the Mountain West. Um, USC barely beat um, Arizona, the winless Arizona, 41-34. And in the nightcap, Utah beating UCLA 44-21. Um, I don't know if UCLA's quarterback got hurt or if they just wanted to start Ethan Garbers, but he got the, the surprise start. Tavian Thomas for Utah, 24 carries, 160 yards and four touchdowns in the evening. And then Washington somehow beating Stanford, which beat Oregon, by the way. Um, so Washington going to four and four, they're three and two in the pack 12 Stanford dropping to three and five. In the FCS world, y'all know I love me some FCS. Montana's still out there now. What did we have in the FCS world? Yale beating Columbia. They're 4-3. and three. They beat Columbia 37-30. to 30. Dartmouth beating Harvard. All the Ivy schools battling it out. 20-17. Uh, to 17. They're 6-1, and one, and Harvard drops to 5-2. and two. Let's see. Villanova getting taken down by William & Mary. Daniel Smith, 18 of 38, 252 yards and a touchdown for Villanova. Uh, and Jaron Hayek, six catches, 115 yards and a touchdown. But that wasn't enough. 
Bronson Yoder, 25 carries, 106 yards, and a touchdown for William and Mary. Villanova looking like they were on the up and up, dropping a couple games here. Let's see. Montana barely beating Southern Utah, uh, 20 to 19. I finally got some questions answered as Chris Brown made the start for the Grizz. He was 17 to 23, 186 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. But Cameron Humphrey did come in. He was 10 to 14 with 86 yards, but he got hurt again, re-injured the ankle. Um, they're still without some of their other good running backs, but Junior Bergerin, 25 carries, 87 yards. You know, health's really the big deal here for, for the Grizz. Uh, James Madison, 45-21 over Elon. They moved to 7-1. South Dakota State beating Youngstown, Youngstown State 47-16 as they moved to 6-2 after losing last week. Weber State winning again. They're back in the FCS rankings. They beat Idaho State 40-17 as expected. Sac State sneakily in the rankings as well. They beat Northern Colorado 27-24. Missouri State beat North Dakota 32-28. North Dakota was a high-ranked FCS team earlier in the season. They drop another game going to 3-5. Missouri State 6-3. North Dakota State stays undefeated as they beat Indiana State 44-2. Sheesh. North Dakota State, man, they just always find a way. It's fucking crazy. Shit's crazy, man. My Saluki is getting defeated. Northern Iowa beating Southern Illinois 23 to 16. Nick Baker for the Salukis, 27 to 42, 306 yards in a tutty, but it wasn't enough as Northern Iowa wins at home. Sam Houston State or Sam Houston stays undefeated, 7-0 as they beat Tarleton 45 to 27. And Southeast Louisiana beating McNeese 23 to 20 to stay to go to 7-1. Head into week 10 in the FCS. What do we got in store? Another Ivy League matchup this Friday on ESPNU. Princeton 7-0 taking on Dartmouth. It's funny that they have football teams in the Ivy League, and they actually do well. They're old school, but they have some good records this year. Ain't no Big Sky Conference in the FCS, but you know. Sam Houston's taking on an 0-8 Dixie State. The Grizz beat them this year, I believe. Yeah, 31 to 14. See how ugly this is for Sam Houston at home. William and Mary plays Delaware Delaware. They're six and two as Delaware is four and four. William and Mary with a big win against Villanova. See if they could keep climbing in. Five and one Columbia hosts five and two Harvard Saturday morning. Northern Illinois on the road against Illinois State. The Saluki is hosting Missouri State. That's a big time game. 6-2 Southern Illinois, 5-3 Missouri State, Saturday morning. The Grizz on the road against Northern Colorado with the injuries. Who knows it's going to happen, but that's a huge game. UC Davis on the road against Northern Arizona. UC Davis is 7-1. They're in the FCS rankings. Weber State 4-4 four four hosting Portland State. That's another big game of FCS-ranked team. South Dakota State 6-2 taking on North Dakota State at home. That's probably a matchup of the week. That's a noon Pacific start on ESPN+. Huge FCS matchup happening there. 
Encarte World, 6-2, hosting Southeast Louisiana, 7-1 on Saturday afternoon as well. Dang, BYU's playing 1-7 Idaho State. That's going to be ugly. Watch Idaho State win. That'd be best. Huge, huge, huge Big Sky matchup. Montana already lost to them, but Montana State heading to Cheney, Washington to try to take down the Eagles after they lost their first game. Eric Barreri is on an intense pace this year. Let's see how good the Bobcats really are. At this point, I mean, these are, are these two top five teams right now. Um, Montana State 4, Eastern Washington 5. So very, very big game. Playoff implications on the line. That's uh, 1 p.m. Pacific start ESPN+. Plus. Love that ESPN Plus is getting Big Sky games now. Stephen F. Austin 5-3 hosting Eastern Kentucky 6-2. And, and that's really it in the FCS world. But how about the big boys? I'm, I'm still ticked off about this college football playoff committee rankings. I can't believe it. Obviously, I'm an Oklahoma fan. Obviously, I'm a little biased. But Oregon, bro? The pack, like, what? Who in their right mind? That shit does not make... Dang, there was games today. Tuesday games. It's crazy how they do that sometimes. Eastern Michigan, 6-3. 52-49 over Toledo. Whew, that's a high-scoring game. All right, what do we got? Real talk, though. We got Stanford hosting Utah. This is Friday night on FS1. I'm going to take Utah on the road there. Stanford been looking up and down. I thought they were on the up and up, but they haven't been looking very good. Ohio State has an easy matchup against Nebraska on the road. North Carolina hosting Wake Forest. I'm taking North Carolina as the dogs at home. Actually, they're favored. They're, that, that's how little people think of Wake Forest. Sam Hartman, show these guys what's up. I'm kind of rooting for you now, but I think Sam Howell on a big stage against a top 10 team on ABC at 9 a.m. Saturday Pacific time. That man's going to show out. Huge, huge test for Liberty and their stud quarterback. Um, Ole Miss hosting Liberty. Couple, couple top dog quarterbacks and a little show off. A little bit of draft stock appeal here in this matchup. I don't expect Liberty to test Ole Miss, but who knows in, the, in this world. What else we got on Saturday? A lot of huge games last week, so not as big of matchups this week. 5-3 Purdue hosting Michigan State. Maybe a letdown after the rivalry game. Purdue has snuck around. They have some quality wins as they, well, they lost to Notre Dame, lost to Minnesota, but they beat Iowa, lost to Wisconsin. At this point, Iowa, man, like phew, how vastly overrated were they? Cincinnati hosts Tulsa. That should be an easy win. Notre Dame hosts Navy. Should be an easy win. Take a Notre Dame. Oklahoma State on the road against West Virginia. West Virginia with a huge win last week. I don't think they're going to be able to beat um, the Cowboys, though. TCU, first game without Gary Patterson hosting the 12th-ranked Baylor Bears. I'm going to take Baylor on the road. They're a six-and-a-half-point uh, six favorite on the road. Pretty big SEC matchup at 12.30 Pacific on Saturday. Texas A&M hosting Auburn. Texas A&M is actually a four-and-a-half-point home favorite. I'm going to take Auburn and Bo Nix on the road. Been getting burned by them. I'm going to go with that Auburn mojo. They're back. Penn State on the road against Maryland. Uh, Tua's brother. Let's see what see what he's got. See if he can get some things going in a big upset. My Wyoming Cowboys hosting Colorado State. They're two and two. Hopefully they can get a win. 
You know, I don't have a lot of faith in them, though, but I'm going to take the Cowboys at home. Arkansas hosting 17th ranked Mississippi State. Arkansas is five and five point favorite, even though they're not ranked. I'm going to go with the Hogs at home. I think Mississippi State's overrated. Florida State hosting the 19th ranked North Carolina State. That'll be a fun game. I'm going to take North Carolina State on the road. Later in the afternoon, Alabama, they are playing LSU. LSU's been looking good of late, but how can you bet against Bama here? I'm taking Bama at home. That's a 4 p.m. start. Northwestern hosting Iowa. That'll be interesting to see how bad Iowa really is, but I'm going to take Iowa on the road there. Fun Mountain West game, 23-ranked Fresno State taking on Boise State at home. Uh, Fresno is favored by five at home. That's a potential upset alert, but I'm going to take Fresno State after that big win against San Diego State. Again, the Huskies hosting Oregon. Uh, Oregon, a seven-point favorite. It's at least going to be worth watching just because. I wish I could see it in person, but the UFC fights are my high priority on that day because Oregon is overrated, but we'll see what they can do. I'll take Oregon on the road. Michigan's hosting Indiana. That should be an easy game, but who knows because Michigan's overrated, right? Louisville hosts Clemson, battle of two lower-level ACC teams this year that are usually higher level. Same with the Big 12 on FS1 at 430. Iowa State hosting Texas. That should be a good, fun one. This is a determining moment for these teams. Let's see who is you know on the upper level of the Big 12. A very young Texas team against a very senior-led Iowa State team that's just been underwhelming. I thought Iowa State would win out until Oklahoma. I was going to go to Oklahoma to watch that game. Glad I didn't. And that's really it for this week's action. But how about that Oregon ranking? Am I the only one? Let me know. Tweet me. You know, hit hit my DMs after this. That shit's wild, right? Like, am I, am I crazy to think that? Like, what in the actual f? But move away from football. And I don't know how many more times in the middle of a football season when the Steelers beat the little brother Browns. That I'm more excited to talk about UFC fights. But when was the last time that you had a main UFC number pay-per-view type card? I would say back-to-back pay-per-views, but technically this weekend wasn't a pay-per-view. It was Abu Dhabi early start for free. You just need the ESPN Plus subscription. But back-to-back Saturdays with just yoked stacked cards. But before we dive into last week's cards, where my dogs, they weren't eating. I was barking last week. They weren't, they weren't eating. The Dagestani grapplers were whooping my ass. I knew better, but I, I had to go with it. I had a feeling. Let's talk some headlines. So Kevin Holland was supposed to rematch with Dawkins um, in a couple weeks, Kyle Dawkins, but he withdraws from that rematch due to injury. Dawkins said he's going to fight. Hopefully they fight back up later. But Holland, I wanted to see him back in action, man. Uh, Tom Aspinall just today booked with Shamil Abdurakimov. That's going to be a great fight of two up-and-coming heavyweights. Vince Pichel versus Mark Madsen is going to be a good fight. On the women's side of thing, Roxanne Modafferi versus Casey O'Neill, who looked really good in her last fight, taking on a vet. Outside of the UFC, Jake Paul and Tommy Fury booked finally December 18th. I don't know much about Tommy Fury, but Tyson said if you lose, I'm not going to call you my brother. You can't be wearing boxing gloves. Like that, That's pathetic. We'll see if Jake Paul could keep winning. Triple G has a fight booked with Ryota Murata, December 29th. This will be in Japan. Last Wednesday, right after I recorded the pod, PFL had some action. 
This is for the million dollars in the in the championship. Kayla Henderson uh, beat Taylor Guardado as expected. She's now a free agent, got the million bucks. Let's see what happens with her career. You know, she she trains with uh, Amanda Nunez. People compare her to being one of the top women. I'd love to see her in the UFC. Ray Cooper the third got revenge versus Magomed Magomed Karimov. Huge nasty knockout. That was a fun fight to watch. And not for the million dollars, but her second ever MMA fight, Clarissa Shields loses. She's now one and one. They had her against Abigail Montez, a young grappler. They keep giving her wrestlers, which makes not a lot of sense. But I just don't see her becoming an upper echelon MMA fighter after upper echelon boxing. She calls herself the quote. She is very confident. She is an athlete, but it, I just don't see her being able to win against grapplers. You know, five more years of experience, I just don't see it happening. So, interesting test there. But let's talk UFC 267. A couple fights that I didn't dive into, but some good wins. Leron Murphy looking good, and Michael Olesajuk. I, I just <laughs> guessed his last name. Uh, but good wins by them. Not good wins by my picks. I lost a lot of money this past week. Had some free play. Put it on the Braves tonight, though. Let's go, Braves. We'll talk baseball later. Uh, but I was 4-5 and five in my picks. That was tough. I did get this fight right and a very very tough fight to pick. Zubara Tugov with a unanimous decision over Ricardo Ramos. I like me some Ramos, but I thought Zubara would be just a little bit too much, and he wasn't. And he was. Excuse me. But what a fun fucking fight this was. Both fighters really gave it their all. And debatably, this could have been fight of the night. You know, obviously it was on the main card. It wasn't the higher level fighter, so they probably didn't give it to him. But they were attacking with combos. They were back and forth all three rounds. And both fighters at one point seriously got rocked. Uh, statistically, Ramos had 71 total and 68 significant strikes versus Tugov, 78 total and 77 significant strikes. He also had two takedowns on the day. This now starts a new winning streak um, for Tugov as he has now won two of three, two of his last three. I would assume he's right outside the top 15. I'd love, love to see him face someone like Andre Feely or Sadiq Youssef, get some big tests here. You know, Ramos, tough loss. He's on, on the up and up as well. He starts a new losing streak, but I could see him take on someone like Charles Rosa or Makwan Amarkani. But hey, bright future for both these guys. Uh, that was a fun, fun fight to watch in the prelims. The prelim headliner, Amanda Ribas, got this fight right. <laughs> uh, unanimous decision over Virna Jandaroba. You know, this fight went as I expected. Virna's tough, right? She's a vet. She's a grappler. She put Ribas in some tough situations and tested her. She had some big body shots and leg kicks. But Rebus kept coming and landed more significant strikes when needed to win the rounds. It was very impressive. Statistically, Rebus had 124 total strikes and 88 significant versus Virna's 119 total and 50 significant strikes. They both had a takedown, and Rebus had this weird, like, not a normal triangle, but like this leg-clinching triangle that looked like she had Virna in a bad spot for a second. Um, I haven't seen it before. But Rebus is back on the way up. She's in the new winning streak, even though she stays at number 10. I'd like to see her against Michelle Watterson, the karate hottie, or Tisha Torres. Let's see what she's all about. Meanwhile, Virna starts a new losing streak and drops to number 13. But since she hasn't fought Angela Hill yet, I would say that's the perfect matchup. Would be a great fight for fight fans. Two grapplers, two tough vets. 
Let's make that happen. Sean Shelby, Dana White, make it happen. Meanwhile, in the main card, this is where I lost my parlay immediately. Magomed Ankalev with a unanimous decision over Vulcan Ozdemir. And as expected, this is a very close, fun fight. You know, it was a unanimous decision, but it was very close. Ankalev was very impressive over a very experienced Ozdemir. You know, Ozdemir did have his moments in this fight. Um, but every time he got momentum, Mega, uh, Mega Men made a big splash. Statistically, Ankalev had 76 total and 66 significant strikes. He also had a takedown and a knockdown. I think that's why they gave him the unanimous, the knockdown. Versus Ozdemir's 56 total and 48 significant. Mega Men now has a seven-fight winning streak and moves up to, uh, one spot to number six. Depending on what's going on here, you know, maybe a Tiago Santos would be great or Alexander Rachik. Rachik's probably going to have some other options, so Santos potentially makes sense. Or maybe even Paula Costa now that he's supposedly a light heavyweight fighter. But I would like to see Ozdemir against Paula Costa or maybe Nikita Krylov, who just lost to Ankalev as well, so that can make sense. Now we get to the grapplers that whoop my ass in my picks. Kazmat Chimeyev with the first round submission over Ling Jingling. <laughs> there isn't a lot to say about this fight. This was a definition of manhandling. Supposedly it just was rocketed. Kazmat's like all the, the videos, all the he's got a bunch of followers now. They were getting millions of views. But basically, Kazmat came out, picked Jingling up, slammed him down, talking shit right in front of Dana White. So I'm gonna fuck everybody up. Right there, ringside. Then he got his back, couple different rear naked and chokes attempts, got one good, and just straight manhandled Lee. Lee got no shots off. This puts Chimeyev up to number 10 after being unranked. He is the real fucking dill. Like, you know, to be able to do that against a guy that's as strong, smart, experienced, and a good striker as Lee, you can't say enough about it. Um, the grapplers are taking over now. Cosmot, he's 10 and 0. I'd love to see him take on Vicente Luke, uh, Luke or Gilbert Burns. If they really want to give him a shot, if he beats Burns and they give him that shot, that shot, then wow, this guy, he might be winning the title for Lee. Uh, he loses his winning streak and drops to number 12, a fight against another striker, Daniel Rodriguez or below Muhammad. Those would be a lot of fun. There isn't a lack of fights in this division. I'm going to pull this up. Kazmat Chemaev has had four fights in the UFC, which he's landed a combined 112 strikes. He's only absorbed one strike in four fights. He has more wins than, than strikes landed against him. Like, what in the actual fuck? Uh, that is massively impressive. That's how dominant he's been. Meanwhile, um... In the non-Dagestani world, a, a, another fight I did get right. Alexander Volkov with the unanimous decision over Marcin Tibera. Another awesome good fight. Another unanimous decision that was a little bit closer than uh, you, you know some unanimous decisions would be. It was a very good and close matchup. You know Volkov took the lead early, but he looked to gas out a little sooner than he normally would. I mean Tibera is a big guy, stocky guy. He's relentlessly coming at you, but he did give Tibera a chance, and I was a little worried about this. Because uh, I'd already got so many picks wrong, I couldn't get this one wrong. Uh, Volkov was tested, but was able to get back into the win column. Statistically, he had 89 significant or 89 total and 75 significant strikes versus Tiberius 73 total and 58 significant. 
Both fighters do start new streaks as Volkov starts in the winning column, Tiberia in the losing column. Volkov stays at number five, Tiberia drops to number nine. I'd love to see Volkov against Jarzinho Rosenstruck, who he hasn't fought yet. If he wants to fight sooner than later, um, maybe he could fight someone else. But um, if Jarzinho wants to fight sooner than later, because he's already been waiting. Uh, but tough loss for Tiberias as five-fight winning streak comes to an end. Maybe Blagoy Ivanov, who hasn't fought in a while, must be injury-related. That would be a good fight. Or Sergey Pavlovich makes sense to me. And then this motherfucker... Islam Makachev with the first round submission over Dan Hooker. Not quite as manhandled as Li Jingling was, but damn, did Islam look good. Much like the Cosmot fight, he didn't give Hooker any time to open up. I thought Hooker would be, you know, obviously the game plan for Islam is to take you down. So I figured he was going to be able to last and uh, keep him at distance. And that was not the deal. Hooker got only 19 shots in before Islam was able to get on top and lock in a deep, deep Kimura. Holy shit. It, like, the ref had to stop it because it looked like he was about to pop his shoulder out or rip his shoulder. Something was about to happen. The ref saved him time. You know, Dan, you know, as Izzy said, he tweeted the ships were burned the ships like no way out. I'm not going to tap in, the, in a fight like this. So the, the ref saved him, and, and that was a good call. He wasn't going to get out of that. If Islam can do that, and there was a lot of time left in the in the fight in that round, but if Islam could do this to Hooker, then you gotta watch the fuck out. I mean, he moves up to number four. Hooker drops two spots to number eight, um, and now adds to his winning streak, which is at nine. He's called for the title shot. I don't believe that he deserves it personally. I think the winner of Gaethje Chandler should be the next guy in. Um, so I would love to give him Benel Dariush, who hasn't got a fight booked from my from what I understand, or maybe the loser of the Chandler Gaethje fight. But if he wants to fight soon, because he hasn't taken any damage, he could fight Dariush. We'll see what, what Dana does. Dana said that he would like to get him against Nick Diaz. Basically, it's like, okay, Diaz, if you want to sign more fights on your contract, we'll give you something more realistic. If not, here's Islam. You know, Islam make a big payday, so he's like, whatever. But no one wants to see that. If he could do that to Dan Hooker, what is he going to do to Nate Diaz at this point in his career? I mean, I don't even care for that, honestly. For Hooker, though, this is a very tough, tough loss for him. Uh, he's dropped three of four, you know, against really good competition, obviously. Uh, but a matchup with maybe Tony Ferguson or RDA, Rafael Dos Anjos, would be a fun fucking striking clinic that fight fans would have to watch. I mean, Tony Ferguson, his, it seems like his chin's kind of gone, but Hooker... Ferguson, that'd be great. RDA, Hooker, that'd be great. Good fights for Hooker as well. I'd probably pick him in both those. But the lightweight, I think the lightweight division has the most killers. I mean, we're talking Islam, Tony Ferguson, RDA. We're talking Hooker. We're talking Darius. We're, I mean, Jesus Christ, Gaethje Chandler. And then the co-main event. The fight that was the hardest one to pick and the fight that was the front runner for fight of the night, and it delivered. Pewter Yawn with a unanimous decision over Corey Sanhagen. And this was a show. Not as intense as the TJ Corey fight in my, or uh, yeah, TJ Corey fight in my decision, in, in my opinion. I thought Corey was able to last longer at a more impressive volume in that fight. But this was still a fucking show. You know, Corey did take this one on short notice and had back-to-back -back camps against very good competition. I think Jan and TJ are the best two. I can't wait for that fight one day. Um, so maybe, you know, 
You know, he pushed the best bantamweights to their limit. What, what can we say? But maybe the back-to-back camps got to Corey. Or maybe it's just Pewter's fucking relentless list that he gave to him. Pewter Jan, I never give the guy credit. He always shoves in my mouth. He manages championship rounds, five-round fights with the best of them. Like John Jones, like TJ. After the first two rounds, they're like, okay, Hooker looking good. And he comes stronger and he tires the opponents out. The shit's impressive. That's some championship shit right there. Statistically, Jan landed 158 total and 149 significant strikes versus Corey's 172 total and 169 significant. You know, Corey did have a takedown, but Pewter had the knockdown, which again is why I think they gave him the unanimous. I think it should have been split. Um, and he did have a submission attempt as well. Pewter definitely had the bigger moments. Um, but didn't have moments where he was in complete control. Corey was always there. The mix of forward movement and counter combos from both these fighters, though, were next level. Like, oh my God, it was fun to watch. Pewter gets his opportunity to fight Aljamain now, according to Dana, so and not TJ. Um, I'm assuming with TJ recovering, that's fine. It'll be what it is. As long as Aljamain can fight soon. We'll see what happens. But for Corey, I'd like to see him maybe fight someone like Marab if he wants to fight you know, in the next six months. But dude, you just had back-to-back fucking the top bantamweights in the, the, the world. I'm sure killer fight camps. Maybe you just take some time off and let the shit shake out a little bit to see what's next. We'll see what happens. Corey could, you know, it's hard to say he's going to be champ next one, you know, one day because this class is stacked. And I always, you look at the young talent here, it's just fucking stacked. He might've just been in a bad situation. You got TJ and Pewter, you know, TJ is back. Pewter's there. These guys, these guys are fucking next level. So, um, bravo to Corey though, man, all due respect to him, but tough, tough fucking loss. I couldn't imagine. And then the main event of the evening and the best story. I don't know. One of the best stories there's been since I've been a fight fan. Glover fucking Teixeira with a second round submission over young Blakovich. This is just a showcase of determination, redemption, and the epitome of never giving up. I figured if this, whoever went to, if this went to the ground, whoever would get on top would probably fin- would win the fight. And that's exactly what happened in the second round. Glover got on, smothered Jan, and was able to find a way to lock in that rear naked choke early in round two. Jan wasn't able to do much as he had 53 total strikes and 28 significant, obviously mostly in the first round. But at 42, Glover extends his winning streak to six. And not all chumps, right? He'd be some good people. Tiago Santos, Anthony Smith. To me, he is the modern-day Randy fucking Couture. He looks better in his 40s than he did younger, which, what in the actual fuck is happening there? Is that good for your long-term health? Probably not. But he had a goal to be the champion, and he became the fucking champion, and he looks scary good. And a very good light heavyweight class. Next up, a very good fighter. A very good striker. Yuri Proshaka. At this point, though, we'll see what if that fight's booked or not. But can you bet against Glover? The motherfucker's going to take Gary down and smother him like he has everyone else. Shit's wild. What a fucking story. I could see Jan maybe fighting Alexander Rachik or Anthony Smith next. Those would be fights that I would expect. But what a crazy fucking card this was. I was watching this. I was in Portland while watching college football, Michigan, Michigan State, Oklahoma, all that stuff. Crazy Saturday morning, um, Halloween weekend. I had watched the Blazer Portland game. 
Paul George put up 42 points. They still lost. The, the Blazers find a way to win. That was fun. But I was so tired after, you know, that night, drinking all day Saturday, that Saturday night we had a low-key night. But uh, what a good fucking card. What sets us up for UFC 268 and Madison Square fucking Garden. You think that's a show? Well, waiting for this Saturday. It's a real pay-per-view. It's starting at a real regular time. And that's my only plan on Saturday. Like I said, fuck the Husky Oregon game. So prelims, they start at 5 p.m. Pacific. The main card at 7 p.m. Pacific. The prelims are on ESPN News. And the early prelims are on UFC Fight Pass. But let's start with the prelims. We have Jordan Bomai Williams, 31-year-old fighter with a 9-5 record, taking on Ian the Future Gary, a young 23-year-old fighter with a 7-0 record. So this is Ian Gary, the Future's UFC debut. And at 23 years old, he's bringing a lot of attention his way as another Ireland undefeated badass. He has stiff competition for his first fight, though. He's been fighting in Cage Warriors, and he trains with a lot of killers out of Sanford MMA, so I'm assuming, like, hey, man, you're ready? Williams has lost two in a row um, after his last win being his Dana White Contender Series win against Gregory Rodriguez, who has looked really good, RoboCop. But this is going to be a fun one to start the prelims. I think Williams, I mean, he looks fucking scary. He's a tough guy. He has serious power, first off. But he's going to be giving this young UFC debuter everything he has. He's 0-2 in his UFC career. You cannot go 0-3. Although Williams is, what, 31? But still, he's in his prime. You can't go 0-3. I'm going to take the dog again. I don't know. You know, I just go with what I feel like. I've seen him fight. He's fucking scary. I couldn't imagine a 23-year-old dude, no matter how good he is, coming in against a guy who's 0-2 in the UFC. This guy has to win. And he's a slight dog, not a major dog. But I'm going with the dog again. I think he's going to catch Gary and put that fucker to sleep. But hey, let's see what the future's all about. Maybe he comes in, shuts my mouth. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. And then this fight, the fact that it's so early... Edmund Golden Boy Shabazian, another young stud, 23-year-old fighter, 11-2, with the number 11 next to his name, taking on Nasardim Amavov, the 25-year-old fighter with the 10-3 record. Again, another prospect fight with both fighters going to be main staples in this middleweight class for a long time. Edmund has lost his last two fights against blonde Derek Brunson. I have to bring that up because that's another level Derek Brunson. That's a super sand Derek Brunson, right? Blonde Derek Brunson and Jack Hermanson, even though he was beating Jack in the striking department, Jack took it to the ground, had to do what he had to do. He is a black belt in Shotokan Karate, and nine of his 11 wins are via knockout. He is a uh, Dana White Contender Series alum as well. Where Amavov is an orthodox fighter out of the MMA factory, he is on a one-fight winning streak, and he looked really good in his last win versus Ian Heinish in July. But I'm going to go with Edmund, man. Uh, I'm going to go with the Edmund KO for him to get back in the wind column and, and keeping that skyrocket going up the rankings. At 23, it's fucking crazy. This probably won't be the last time these two fight, though, I'm assuming. And it's going to be a dandy. This is going to be a, a very, very good fight. He is the Vegas dog as well, surprisingly. But I'm going to go with Ed Shabazian. Probably not the Williams fight putting on the parlay because I don't, I, you know, this, the future might come in and shut it down. 
But I'm putting Edmund on the parlay. Mark that shit down. It's revenge week, all right? Let's, let's get that bread. And then we have Phil Megatron Haas, a 32-year-old fighter with 11-2 and record, taking on Chris Action Man Curtis, the 30-year-old fighter, 34-year-old fighter with a 26-8 and record. Now, Haas, he's on a tear. He's on a seven-fight winning streak. He has a wrestling background as he did uh, Juco wrestling for Iowa Central Community College. He did win a title there and then transferred to Iowa State. He trains out of Sanford MMA as well. Jim's fucking full of killers. Seven of his 11 wins are via knockout. He's a brown belt in BJJ, and he's a Dana White Contender Series alum, and three of his last wins are in the UFC since then. Meanwhile, Chris, he's on a five-fight winning streak. He's been everywhere, though. He's been in the UFC. He went to other promotions, back to the UFC. He's been, he was a Dana White Contender Series alum. He even fought in the PFL against their best competition. Magomed Magomakiramov, who just fought, and Ray Cooper, who just knocked him the fuck out. He trains out of Extreme Couture. He is very experienced, but Haas, man, he is on the up and up, and he's in his prime. I don't see how Chris wins this fight, as I think Haas is better and faster than him everywhere they go. So I'm going to take Phil Haas. He ain't a dog. We're putting him on that parlay. Mark it down, and let's get that bread. And then a fun vet fight for fans here. We got Al Raging Iquinta, the 34-year-old fighter with the 14-6-1 record, taking on Bobby King Green, 35 years old with the 27-12-1 record. So Al, he's a purple belt in BJJ. He has lost three of four, but against very good competition like Dan Hooker and K- Khabib. No, Khabib. I call him Khabib. It's funny. Um, that's what I was saying in Portland when I lost. I was like, Khabib, man, the Dagestani is fucking Khabibs. I got Khabibbed. Um, Bobby has lost two in a row. He's a blue belt in BJJ. He is an old strike force felt, uh, vet and is very well-rounded as well. This fight is so close as both fighters are very well-rounded. They're respected in the UFC. And it's hard for me to make a choice here, but Rage and Al hasn't fought since October 2019. While Bobby fought this past August, I do think Al is well-rested, and I think he finds a way to victory. I'm not too sure about putting this on my parlay. It's very iffy, but we'll see. We'll see. Lots of fights this card. Probably do two parlays, you know? I think I did three last week and offered them. I mean, it doesn't matter because I would have picked Jan and all of them and Glover won. Good story. Good story. Bravo. Bravo. This is going to be a fun one to headline the prelims. We have Alex Pereira, the 34-year-old fighter. He's 0-0. Versus Andreas, the Spartan, Michelidis, the 30-year-old, 33-year-old fighter with a 13-4 record. The reason I'm talking about this one, well, this is Alex's UFC debut. He is 33-7 in kickboxing and is known for his knockout win against Israel Adesanya in kickboxing. He's coming to the UFC. A little late at 34 but, he, you know, he has a big resume following him. He is the Vegas favorite as well. He is an orthodox fighter. He's training at a Glover to share his gym, to share MMA and fitness. He is a kickboxing champion. Meanwhile, Andres is coming off his first UFC victory. He is one and one in the UFC. This is either going to be a coming out party for Alex or a mess showing where everyone's like, ah, oh, whatever. You know, he's still living off the Itasanya glory days. 
So bring it on. Let's see what you got. I'm going to take the kickboxing champion. I'll probably put this in my parlay. Mark it down. Let's get that bread. And then head into the main card. The vet of all vets. We got Frankie, the answer Edgar, at 40 years old with a 23-8-1 record and the number 8 next to his name versus Marlon Cheeto Vera, 28 years old with a 17-7-1 record. Now, Frankie, now he's the real OG. He has moved to bantamweight recently where he's beat the likes of Pedro Munoz but lost to Corey Sanhagen. That nasty knee when he was coming in for that takedown. He has all the accolades. He's a prior UFC champion. He's got backgrounds in wrestling, boxing, Muay Thai, and BJJ. He's a first-degree black belt in BJJ. He was a D1 wrestler out of Clarion University of Pennsylvania. He's an orthodox fighter. And this is his best test. Or, or this is going to be a good test at 40 years old. I think this is his last run to move up the rankings. But hey, you know, he's a true vet. He might be like Glover where he's getting better, right? He has a new weight class. He looked good. He ran into the knee of Corey. So I've been back and forth on my decisions here. Well, Cheeto, he is a black belt in BJJ. He does have a two and a half reach advantage on Frankie. He is on a one fight winning streak since his last to Jose Aldo. But at 40 years old, it's hard for me to want to pick a fighter. But I do believe think he is. I do believe and think he's better than Cheeto everywhere. I do think Cheeto is pretty overrated. I am taking the Vegas dog again, though. I'm putting Frankie Edgar in my parlay. I'm marking it down. Let's get that bread. And we got a banger alert here. We got Shane, the Hurricane Burgos, the 30-year-old fighter with a 13-3 and record and the number 14 next to his name, taking on Billy Quarantillo, the 32-year-old fighter with a 16-3 and record. Now, Burgos is coming off two tough losses in straight wars, straight wars against Edson Barboza and Josh Emmett. He is an orthodox fighter and a black belt in Tiger Shulman's. Billy is on a one-fight winning streak. He has a black belt in BJJ. He is a contender series alum. And this is going to be a fun, striking, powerful... Someone's getting bonuses in this fight. A win here for Billy can really jumpstart his career in the division and put him up in the rankings. But I'm going to go with Shane Burgos. He's just been a machine. I'm putting him on my parlay. Mark it down. Let's get that bread. And then the fight that I've been waiting for. Just like the last fight, uh, Carr, this is the Pewter Young Corey Sandhagen matchup. We got Justin the Highlight Gaethje. And this isn't even the co-main. 32-year-old fighter with a 23-2 and record and the number two next to his name, taking on Mike, Michael the Iron Chandler, the 35-year-old fighter with a 22-6 and record and the number four next to his name. Now, Gaethje has a wrestling background as a D1 wrestler at Northern Colorado. He trains with Trevor Whitman out of the beastly-ass Onyx team. That's He's got his hands full today. He's got Justin this weekend, Justin, Rose, and Kamaru. But he only trains the elite of the elite, right? Justin did lose his last fight to Khabib in October of last year. So it's been a year. Meanwhile, Chandler lost his last fight against Charles Oliveira for the interim title where he had Oliveira rocked. I thought he won that fight. I picked him to win that fight. And then Oliveira comes in hot the second round and knocks him out. He is a wrestler as well. He was a D1 wrestler from Missouri, and he wrestled with the likes of Ben Askren and Tyron Woodley there. He does train out of Sanford MMA. 
He spent most of his MMA career as a stud in Bellator where he won the title. This is the hardest fight for me to pick, just like the Jan Sandhagen fight, but it is a guaranteed banger. I do think it's fight of the night, and I'm going to go with Justin Gaethje. I think he's a little bit better on the feet. I like his counter combos, a slight movement. Chandler just comes at you tough. Knock me out or I'll knock you out. Um, I think Justin's going to get the job done, and this one is not going to go the distance. I'm going to put Justin on my parlay, mark that shit down, and let's get that bread. I always like when, you know, Gaethje's not a true UFC guy, but more of a vet than, like, those Bellator guys that live on. And, you know, there was comparisons of Chandler winning the division lightweight versus, like, the likes of Dustin and those guys. I'm like, come on now. But, yeah, I'm going to go with Justin. And then my girl, baby. Rose Thug Nama Yunus, 29 years old, 11 and 4 record, taking on Zhang Magnum Wee Lee, 32 year old fighter with the 21 and 2 record and the number one next to her name. You know, poor Thug Rose, she continually has to rematch her opponents once winning. It's like they almost don't believe it. Um, I remember seeing her in the Ultimate Fighter when the strawweight division became uh, the division. She didn't win it. Carla Sparza, grappler, more true vet, was able to get the job done. But I said she's going to win the title. She's going to be the best in the UFC. To this day, she is the best. I think she's continually going to be the best, and she's in her prime. You know, the first fight between these two, though, Zhang Wei Li with her fight against Yuana really impressed me. I was a little shocked that it didn't last very long. Many people are expecting this to be a little different. But Rose is only getting better as she is in her prime. She's won five of six, two in a row. She does train with Trevor Whitman and Onyx as well. She previously fought Invicta and was an Ultimate Fighter alum, bringing the division to light in the UFC. Meanwhile, Zong has been training in the States with Henry Cejudo. She is a purple belt in BJJ. She is 5-1 and one in the UFC with her only loss against Rose. Now, Wei Li, she's very talented. We didn't get to see her a lot in the last fight against Rose. But I think she that Rose is peaking right now and is going to be too much for Zeng. I do think it goes a little bit longer, but I'm still taking Rose. Put her on the parlay, mark it down, and let's get that bread. And then we have the main event. This first fight was a top three fight I've ever seen in my life. We have Kamaru, the Nigerian Nightmare Usman, 34 years old with a 19-1 record, taking on Colby Chaos Covington, 33 years old with a 15-2 and record, and he's the number one contender. Kamaru is on an 18-fight winning streak, and this will be his fifth title defense. This is impressive. He wins a couple more. He's on the likes of GSP. He's in the likes of um, Khabib. You know, all those guys for the, the greatest of all time, in my opinion. Kamaru has fought three times since beating Colby the first time in December of 2019. I say it's a top three fight I've ever seen, but it may have been more interesting if Colby didn't break his jaw in that fight. Once he went to the corner and said, I broke my jaw, the, you could see Kamaru really went strong. Now, Colby is saying he didn't break his jaw. He's denying that now. I don't know what to believe. Either way, he was fucked up. There was something that happened that led him not to fight the way he normally does. So this is going to be interesting. Now, Kamaru, he's got a wrestling background as well. He trains at Onyx Sports with Trevor Whitman. He's a black belt in BJJ. He was a D2 wrestler at Nebraska at Kearney and was a national champion. He is an Ultimate Fighter alum. 
Meanwhile, Kobe is a, a, a Southpaw fighter and a D1 wrestler that wrestled at Oregon State. He had a seven-fight winning streak until the loss to Kamaru and since has beat Tyron Woodley. He has had controversy everywhere, right? He's chaos. He's the bad guy. He's the Chell Sonnen, but a true piece of shit in person as well. Now, we've seen Kamaru really level up since that last fight, though. I can't bet against the champ. I think his striking is vastly improved with those fights against Masvidal and whoever else he fought in the meantime. And I think he's really, like, I thought he was such a heavy grappler, lean on you, tire you out, dude. But now I just don't see any weaknesses. I do be, see, expect this to be a war, but I'm taking Kamaru. I'm putting him in my parlay, marking that ish down. This is revenge week, baby. We got Kamaru defending and still the title. But what a super fucking stacked card. Two title fights. Can't wait. Bart Scott, can't wait. Now, up next, we don't have a major pay-per-view card, but a 1 p.m. Pacific fight night card on ESPN+, Plus, headlined by Max Holloway and Yair Rodriguez, which is a deep card for an Apex fight night. And my guy, Super Sand Max, I can't wait to see him back out there. And stylistically, with Yair, holy shit. I mean, the UFC is just so deep in so many classes every fucking weekend, baby. But this weekend, big time. So let's transition to the hardwood, shall we? In news in the NBA, Zion Williamson still a couple, two to three weeks out. We'll see what happens. I'm not too optimistic about this. JJ Redick retired, now joining ESPN as an analyst. So bravo, JJ. I know he's part of the Ringer, had a podcast going, so that's good to see. Patrick Williams out of the out for the year for the um, Bulls. Tough loss for them. The stud sophomore out of, well, second year player out of Florida State. They were really hoping to have him within the mix. So let's talk about the past week's game. So last Wednesday, the night of the pod, the Hornets moved to four and one as they beat the magic 120 to 111. Uh, Gordon Hayward with 24 Cole Anthony with 24 Cole Anthony has been holding the fort down for that one and four magic team. The wizards upset the Celtics at home. Um, Alf Horford was 16 and 11 Montrez Harrell, 25 and 11, a little bit of a shocker there. The Celtics, man, they're basically just getting deed up on Tatum and, and Jalen. They're not playing team ball. Really interested to see how they turn this a season around if they do. Um, but Brad Brad probably did the right move by getting the fuck out of the head coaching job. And then the Heat looking great. They beat the Nets on the road 106-93. to 93. Jimmy Bucket, 17 points, 14 rebounds, 7 assists. Always got a fat stat sheet. And KD led the Nets with 25 points and 11 rebounds. The Raptors uh, went to 2-3 and three as they beat the 1-4 and four Pacers, 118-100. Fred Van Fleet with 26-10-6. Nice little stat line. Uh, the Hawks still won on the road against the Pelicans. They're 3-1 at the point. They beat the 1-4 and four Pelicans. Ice Trey with 31-5-7. Devontae Graham led the Pellies with 21-5-6. A little bit of a surprise here. The Bucks have been without some stars, but they lose to the Timberwolves on the at home. Uh, D'Lo with 29-5-6. Giannis, the Greek freak, 40-16-7. The Thunder beat the Lakers at home. They were 1-4 at the time. The Lakers 2-3. Westbrook had a quadruple double, but technically a triple double. 20 points, 14 rebounds, 13 assists. He had 10 turnovers. 
and Shigus Alexander, 27-9-5 in the victory. Another little bit of an upset. The Kings beat the Suns on the road, 110-107. They were moving to 2-2, two two, the Suns 1-3. Harrison Barnes, 22-9, DeAndre in 21-12. The Blazers beat the Grizzlies, 116-96. John Morant cooled down a little bit, 17-9-10. CJ with 25-9. Another upset, the Clippers won and moved to 1-3 at this point last Wednesday as they lost to the Cavs 79-92 at home. Colin Sexton had 26-7. Reggie Jackson led the Clips 16-7. Moving into the Thursday games, the 76ers smoked the Pistons. The Wizards beat the Hawks at home. The Wizards getting some dubs. Uh, Montrez Harrell 25-13. John Collins 28-12. The Knicks beat the Bulls on the road. They're both 4-1 at this time. Randall 13-16-9. Vucevic 22-8-6. My Jazz easily beaten the Rockets. Rudy Gobert, three-time Defensive Player of the Year. He had 16-14. The Mavericks beating the Spurs and the Grizzlies taking down the Warriors on the road in overtime. John Morant 37-5. Steph 36, 7, and 8. Heading into Friday, obviously I caught that game in Portland. The Trailblazers won 111-92. Dame had 24, 4, and 6. He closed it out. He went Dame dollar time at the end of the game. Couple swish threes to close him out. Uh, but Paul George had 42, 8, and 2. I had bet my friend that Paul George is the high scorer in the game. He bet Dame Lillard. Dame had been cold. Thanks to the podcast, I knew this. So I, I won that bet. That was fun. Uh, the Raptors squeaked by the Magic to go to 3-3. Three three. Scotty Barnes with the showing, 21-9. The Nets beat the Pacers. The Heat beat the Hornets. Jimmy Butler, 32-10-5. Sheesh. Uh, the Kings beat the Pelicans as they dropped to 1-5. It's looking rough for them. Uh, the Nuggets beat the Mavericks, 106-75. They blew them out. Uh, Jokic, 11-16-8. Luka, 16-6-4. The Lakers got back in the win column. Heading into Saturday, the Wizards beat the Celtics in double OT. The Celtics blew a 40-point lead. Bradley Bill had 36-7-6. Jalen, 34-6. The Pistons beat the Magic at home for their first win, led by Cole Anthony, 15-10. The Raptor, the Raptors, geez. The Raptors beat the Pacers on the road. Scotty Barnes again, 21-12. Good showing for the Rook. The 76ers beat the Hawks at home as they were 4-2, moved to 4-2, and, and the Hawks were 3-3. Three three. Tobias Harris, 22-11. The Bulls beat my Jazz as they gave them their first defeat. They moved to 5-1, the Jazz 4-1. Um, they were without Mike Conley on rest management. DeMar DeRozan, though, looking good, 32-6-3. Rudy putting up crazy double-double, 17 points, 19 rebounds. The Heat continuing to roll, beating a very good Grizz team on the road as they moved to 5-1. Jimmy Buckets, 27-5-7. The Bucks continue to lose with a lot of stars banged up. The Spurs beat them on the road, 102-93. DeJounte Murray, 23-5-9. Giannis, 28-13. Heading into Sunday, the Hornets beat the Blazers at home. LaMelo Ball, 27-9-7. The Jazz beat the Bucks on the road, still without Portis, still without Drew and, and crew. Not as impressive. They won 107-95. Donovan had 28-4. Giannis 25-7-6. and 
Moving into this week, Monday, the Spurs beat the or the Pacers blow out the Spurs at home to move to two and six. Sabonis 24, 13, and 6. The Sixers beat the Blazers at home. Andre Drummond without Joel Embiid, 14, 15, and 17. Uh, Damian Lillard, 27 and 10 in defeat. The Hawks beat the 5 and 2 Wizards. They moved to 4 and 3. Clint Capella, 16 points, 12 rebounds. The Celtics, man, dropping to 2 and 5 at home. The Bulls win 128, 114. They were 19 points down. DeMar DeRozan, 37 and 7. He's putting up crazy points. Jalen Brown, 28 and 7. The big knock on DeMar is he still takes those old school jumpers. But he's shooting the three-point well. In this game, he was three for four. That's something to keep an eye on if the Bulls are the real deal. DeMar said, you need me to shoot threes? All right, baby. The Raptors beat the Knicks on the road. They're five and three. The Knicks, five and two. OG, baby, 36 and six, while Julius Randle had 22, nine and five. The Grizz beat the Nuggets at home. John Morant still putting up. That was a good pick in my fantasy. He's 26, seven and eight. Nikola Jokic, who won my fantasy league last year, he was 23-7-7 in defeat. The Magic stole a game against the Timberwolves on the road. Cole Anthony with a massive game, 31 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists. And then today, Tuesday night, we had a TNT doubleheader. The game I watched earlier, the Heat beating the Mavericks. Tyler Hero looking good. Kyle Lowry finally getting some shots put up. He's 6-9 from 3 as he was 25-5-9 tonight. Luka put up 33 points in the defeat. The Mavericks are 4-3, the Heat 6-1. The Pistons got blown out by the Bucks, And then in the game that just finished that has been going on while I've been chatting with y'all, the Suns beating the Pelicans at home. The Pelicans are 1-7, the Suns 3-3. CP3 had 14-7-8. And, and how about this man? Anywhere he goes, crazy stat lines. Jonas Valenciunas, 23 points, 14 rebounds. The Lakers are barely beating the Rockets right now. LeBron with his first big point stat line, 30 points tonight. What do we got happening this week? So looking at the standings, Miami is on top of the, the East, 6-1. Chicago, 6-1. The Knicks, 5-2. The Wizards are 5-2. Sixers, 5-2. Raptors, 5-3. Hornets, 5-3. Nets, 4-3. So interested to see what's up with Kyrie and the Nets, man. That, that's crazy. Much like baseball, I went with the top dogs, top heavy, the stars, right? We'll talk about baseball in a minute. But I put the Nets in. I had them against the Jazz. They were the only team, assuming Kyrie gets back, that has playmakers that could slash the Jazz's defense. Uh, but the Jazz atop the West, 5-1. and one. Warriors, 5-1. and one. Mavericks, 4-3, and three, even though they're not playing the best of ball. Lakers, 4-3. and three. Grizz, 4-3. and three. Nuggets, 4-3. and three. Timberwolves three and three, Kings three and three atop the top eight of the West. Blazers, Suns, and Clippers outside. I'm sure they'll find a way in. On the East, Hawks, Bucks on the way out. On the outside looking in the top eight, I'm sure they'll find a way in. So when we're looking at the top eight, do we have any fun matchups coming up this week? So tomorrow, Wednesday, 76ers five and two hosting the Bulls. That'll be a fun one. The, the Wizards hosting the Raptors. They're 5-2. See if they can keep it going. The 4-3 Nets host the 4-3 Hawks tomorrow on ESPN. 4-30 Pacific start. The 4-3 Grizz hosting the 4-3 Nuggets. The Spurs 2-5 hosting the 4-3 Mavs. The 5-1 Warriors hosting the Hornets on ESPN tomorrow night. 
I'll be seeing Benny the Butcher at the Showbox. Let me some Benny the Butcher at the Showbox market. So I ain't watching any hoops tomorrow. Um, the Hawks hosting the Jazz on Thursday. That'll be a fun game. That's 4.30 start. Better than Colts Jets. I'll be watching that. The 6-1 Heat hosting the Celtics on NBA TV on Thursday. Headed to Friday. Wizards hosting the Grizz. Bucks hosting the Knicks on ESPN. I would say Warriors Pelicans usually, but yeah, I don't give a shit about that. Uh, Blazers hosting the Pacers on Friday. Going into Saturday, big time game, top of the East, top of the West. We got six and one Heat taking on the six and one Jazz on NBA TV. Four thirty start on Saturday. Dang, I got that. I got Huskies Oregon. I got the UFC. That's going to be a busy Saturday sports wise. The six and one Bulls hosting the five and two Sixers. The Suns hosting the Hawks, the Lakers, or the Blazers hosting the Lakers on NBA TV. Moving into Sunday, Raptors hosting the Nets, Wizards hosting the Bucks, Clippers hosting the Hornets Sunday night. Moving into next week, we have the Bulls hosting the Nets on Monday. That's on NBA TV. That'll be a fun one. 76ers and Knicks. Nuggets hosting the Heat. That'll be a good game. Warriors and the Hawks on Monday. That's a fun one. Lakers hosting the Hornets. And then Tuesday night, doubleheader TNT. We got Clippers hosting the Blazers in the nightcap. 76ers hosting the Bucks in the afternoon. And then Jazz Hawks again on Tuesday. So Jazz getting some better opponents. We'll be seeing how they could do against some higher quality teams. But that's where we're at in the, the, the NBA world. And this is officially the last we're talking about baseball until that stove gets hot. As an Angel fan, I'm ready, baby. I'm ready to see what the offseason is going to provide. Please, Lord, baby Jesus, six ounce, six pounds, seven ounce, baby Jesus, give us some pitching. Well, in the league, the Padres hired Bob Melvin, stole him from the Athletics. Jose Altuve, on a tear, hits his 23rd postseason homer for second all-time behind Manny Ramirez, who has 29. And tonight... Before the show, I just assumed it, it happened. I'm going to guess that it's final. Let me pull it up first. I don't want to say that. and look like an idiot. I don't see it, but I'm just going to assume it. The Astros closing out the Braves tonight. Max Freed. I had free play from getting my ass whooped in betting last week and put it all on the Braves because they're the underdog. Uh, looks to close them out as Mattress Mac. Travis Scott will be crying in Houston. But the rest of the world smiles and rejoices as the Astros don't win. No Dodgers, no Yankees. What an underdog story. That's what sports is all about without Acuna Jr. And that's why they played the game. So let's recap what's happened since last week. Well, last Wednesday, the Astros destroyed the Braves 7-2 to tie up the series after the Braves had won game one. Travis D'Arnude was uh, two for four. He had a home run. Max Fried in his first start didn't look as good. Five innings, seven hits, six earned, six Ks. For the Astros, Altuve and Brantley go two for. Altuve with a home run, adding to his World Series postseason greatness. Jose Urquidy, five innings, six hits, two earned, seven Ks. Astros tie it up. Heading into the weekend on Friday, Braves win 2-0. It's a showdown, a little bit of a pitching showdown. Um, Luis Garcia, that's Luis, right? Yep, Luis Garcia, 
starts, only pitches three innings, one earned six Ks, though. The bullpen does the rest. Um, for the Ast- or for the Braves, Diarnud with two fur as well, getting his postseason average to 417 and a, a, a second World Series home run. Ian Anderson, five innings pitched, zero earned, four Ks in the victory. So now the Braves up 2-1 in Atlanta. Sets it up for another home game. They win 3-2 in Atlanta. They have a demanding 3-1 lead. This was a crazy game. Altuve goes 2 for Kyle Tucker 2 for um, Altuve had another home run. Zach Greinke started 4 innings pitch. No earned 3 Ks. For the Braves, Eddie Rosario 2 for Austin Riley 2 for Soler with another laser shot. Swanson with the shot. And it was pretty much a bullpen game for the Braves, but they found a way. What set us up for Sunday? Can they close it out? The Braves say no. They really have an offseason burst or offensive burst. They won 9-5. Correa goes 3-5. for five. Uriel 3-5. for five. For Valdez only 2-2 two and two thirds with 5 earned, but the bullpen keeps them locked in. Austin Riley 3-4. for Diarnude 2-4. for four. Freddie Freeman with the home run. And mostly a bullpen game for the Braves as well as they were getting blown out. What set us up for Tuesday night, the final score, 7-0 to Braves, baby. And this fucking guy, a guy I've had in fantasy for many years, just shoots lasers. Jorge Soler, man, with a laser. 446 feet. I saw that before I came on. That's why... I came on this evening. I was watching the the World Series. Uh, Freddie Freeman got a home run today to uh, Dansby Swanson. And Max Freed, six innings, four hits, zero earned, six Ks. What a showing. I figured he'd show out after the first game, kind of not going his way. Brantley, two for four. Garcia, two and two-thirds, three earned, three Ks. The baseball fans are saved by the Braves. The underdog story, man. Reviewing my uh, predictions, which happened in March 29th, right before the season. I had the ALCS as Yankees-White Sox. Wasn't very right. I had the Yankees in the World Series. I had the um, Dodgers versus the Braves in the NLCS, though. This was with Acuna, without Soler and all those additions. And I had the Dodgers winning it all versus the Yankees. So I was somewhat close. I had... NL MVP, Mookie Betts, Rookie of the Year, Sixto Sanchez was way off on that. Cy Young, Jacob deGrom would have nailed that if he was healthy, but who who wanted to pick that? AL MVP, Shohei should be winning that. Uh, Randy Arozarena, Rookie of the Year, should be winning that. I had Cy Young as Shane Bieber, which he had injuries as well, potentially could have won that. So next week, no MLB, but we start college basketball Big-time college basketball happening next week. There's a battle of the Blue Bloods. I think it's Duke-Kentucky. Some big-time game happening next week. And uh, how to bring this up. College game day to Montana. It's rumored. They're vouching for it. I've heard the rumors in the past. This is what I'll have to say about it. I tweeted it. I've been to major, major games. NBA playoffs, NBA finals. I've been to NFL games, sold-out shows, college games, you know, any kind of game, you name it. I've been to massive stadiums, uh, Beaver Stadium and Penn State, 110,000 fans. I've been to Autzen Stadium when it was versus Arizona State, college game day, sold out, 
Brock Osweiler was a starting quarterback. I believe Marcus Mariota was there at the time. Royce Freeman. I've been to some big-ass games. The coolest game I've ever went to, obviously a little bit biased, was the Grizz versus Appalachian State FCS Championship in a snowstorm. I get goosebumps just thinking about it. Wild Grizz is deserving. Missoula is deserving. Put the Brawl of the Wild on college game day. Make it fucking happen. You won't be denied. Tony Romo talks about it. Hell of people that have played in that stadium talk about it. There is the craziness. There is the loudness and the beauty of nature right there. If you could do it in North Dakota State, South Dakota State, and those other FCS programs, James Madison, Missoula is the best one to to do it. Mic drop. Make it happen. See you guys next week.